Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Things I thought could never happen. Me in a punk band? What? <laughs> we are Lady Parts, a new original comedy streaming only on Peacock. A confused mix of hash anthems and sour girl power. Syrah, vocals, Aisha, drummer, Bismar, bassist, Mumtaz, band manager, and me, Amina, lead guitar. You were really good until you puked all over the front row. Ew. We are Lady Parts. All episodes streaming now. Only on Peacock. And there will be no encore for the final time this year as a regular episode. A reminder that our Patreon Q&A double bill uh, will be with you as of Christmas Day. Part one is out now. It's patreon.com slash noencore if you'd like to help support the show and get a couple of bonus episodes in return. A, a rake load of fucking playlists and uh, episode previews. But also the uh, the comforting warmth of knowing that you're helping out your favourite show. And uh, thanks legitimately, as I always say. I hate saying legitimately. I sound like a fucking politician. But ultimately, sincere thank you to everyone who has listened to us this year. For people who have supported the show in whatever way you've done that. It's been a huge year for the show. We've worked really fucking hard on it. I hope that that comes across. I hope that you enjoy it. Of course, reach out to us anytime you want to. Noencoreshow at gmail.com if you want to get in touch with myself and Craig. And uh, Craig is here. It's episode yes, 250. It's the last episode of the year. It's the Albums of the Year episode. I'm excited. Will we let people behind the curtain and reveal that we just recorded the Songs of the Year? It's a back-to-back <laughs> it's recording. It's a back-to-back. But the Songs of the Year, I think, you know, as people who probably heard it already, I know it's a big, long episode, but, you know, you get us talking. Uh, I think, Enjoyed ultimately, the Songs of the Year episode was so contentious that it was... It was a tough decision, but it was the right decision to basically... Now you sound like a politician. Yeah. <laughs> to close the door on Zara Hedeman, who, oh no, she's back in. Apparently. Hey, Zara Hedeman! <laughs> <laughs> what 
what's the story? How you doing? I'm good, thank you. Glad to have you. Thanks, it, thanks for doing it. Dave, I know you always go on about banning me from the show, but I know that you wouldn't keep doing the show unless there was the threat that I could come on. I suppose, yeah. <laughs> the main reason the main reason the show exists is so that Zara yeah, exactly. can, can, can pop up every now and then. But no, for real, thank you. You've been a prolific member of the show this thank year. Thank you very much. I year. very much enjoyed... Sorry, I'm making this episode longer than it no, needs to be. No, that's all right. Already. Don't worry about it. I mean, in fairness, <laughs> like, the only person I was going to is uh, the last person to get thanked here is who, 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 last but the opposite of least, is our wonderful sonic architect, Adam Legend. Shanahan. Yeah. Whose studio we're in right now. He's still here. <laughs> Safely <laughs> distance, of course. Thank you for having us. I think doing these in person was... I, I wouldn't want to do it over fucking Zoom. Man. No. Jesus Christ. But there's you have to get I, me out of the house, like, oh, essentially. Right? I have to get you out of leak slip on. I know, yeah. I know. I got to put on a suit. Intercounter travel new is suit. still, or out, uh, uh, external account travel is currently allowed as of this podcast recording. <laughs> this is also uh, work. No one's doing anything illegal. But, uh, oh, there's that symbol again. But John, uh, so essentially, right, um, <laughs> that's your no one's doing anything illegal symbol. <laughs> <laughs> this is the everything is okay alarm. <laughs> I also just love how loose it's all gotten after that two and a half hour in I, I'm fucking session. fried dude I mean like well at least it's saved the songs of the episode saved unlike last year hey. uh, Adam though, you know, I, I lavish praise upon Adam all the time uh, but I have to do it again thank you so much for all the work you've done from the show this year Jesus Christ I don't he's know what I would have done without you uh, he's given me the signal to just get on with the show so that's no, what I'll that, do that's, that's, that's a thank you thank <laughs> looks like he's basking in the I know, yeah. glow, glow on, of more, your praise more. man relation <laughs> glory yeah no for sure uh, look you're the best everyone knows you're the best there's no question there's no one else Adam is a legend. <laughs> There's no one else. Yeah. He is, in fact, I yeah. would say County Mead's proudest. Whoa! Whoa! Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> He's not from County Mead. He's from Mead. You're from Mead. I'm, not I'm from, from Louth. No. Craig is from Kildare. This Adam, is Adam. We're Adam, not from Mead. None of us. It's a dispute. Look. It's not happening. Are you even being picked up on these mics? I'll make it happen. <laughs> can you do that? <laughs> My he God, can do anything. His powers. Okay, top. listen. Uh, top 20 albums of the year. No encore style. If you heard the song's episode, you know the format. You know the drill. The way it works is we all did a big vote. Songs got points. Other albums, songs didn't make it. We have a, a we had lots of ties. We had to decide which would go where. And then ultimately, there'll be a top five at the end of this in which we will debate how that top five should be run down from five to one. And yeah, it's a big choice music prize style situation. Zara Hedeman and Craig Fitzpatrick are here with me. I know they're very excited about what we're about to talk about. We're just going to dive the fuck in from 20 down to six. These are the No Encore albums of the year. And it's funny because I make it sound like I'm about to give you all of them at once. I'm not. We're going to talk about them for probably about an hour and a half. Let's do it. See you in two hours. Number 20. Everything that you didn't 
Got very emotional in the studio there for a second. That is, of course, Taylor Swift. And Folklore is the album. That song is Exile featuring Bonnie Vare. What more can we say about Taylor Swift? Not much. Let's have number 19, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, um, she done gone and did it. She released another surprise album in the middle of December. And it's funny because like, um, you got like hours of conversation as opposed to days that time, which supports my theory, I think, that don't release an album in December because no one really cares. Yeah, that's for uh, sure. Folklore, yeah. however, was a huge fucking moment, like a, a cultural zeitgeist affair. Um, I'll say it before, I'll say it again. I think this song, this album rather, is great, like really fucking top tier stuff for the first seven songs, maybe eight. And then it becomes kind of a series of less good versions of what you've already heard. Not much bad in there. A couple of duds, I think, but ultimately then it ends quite well. Um, a very accomplished album. It makes me like her more. I don't love it. And every time I go back to this, I want to like it a bit more than I do, a la that Arctic Monkeys album from a few years ago, I suppose. It's kind of a similar one for me. Uh, this was neck and neck with another album, Craig. Yeah, I'm lost out, unfortunately. One of my favourite albums of the year, Women in Music Part 3. Um, just a real step up for them. Um, they had that kind of classic sophomore slump slightly, but um, yeah, the songwriting is, is amazing on it. Um, a real kind of magpie approach to pop music, just with... They've been through a lot of tough times and the kind of sophisticated lyric uh, and songwriting just really reflected that. Um, so I would say dive into that one for sure. Well, they're on the new Taylor Swift album, but we're here to talk about this Taylor Swift album. Yeah, this is, I agree with you, this is um, a lot of a very good album, but then it's also a lot more. Um, and while I do think this kind of aesthetic suits her and that kind of like overgrown ballpark is where she should be playing, I do think Aaron Desner's production at times feels a little safe. And I don't think he does her any favours at times. It's just a bit overwrought. And, but the songwriting is really up to par. So, yeah. I actually think um, like for as much furore as there was about Aaron Desner and Justin Vernon being on this album, I actually think that like th- that song is my one of my least favourite on the album. Um, I think that their contributions to this actually kind of are not that exciting, not all that engaging. Um and I really do just think that this is such a look. I'm really like, I, I as I said earlier, I don't. I'm not a Taylor Swift fan, but I I really like this album. I'm happy for her. Um, and yeah, like I just I just find this such an irresistible album. Um, I think me of maybe like three or four years ago, if she had to have seen me talking so like fondly about Taylor Swift would be a bit confused but like appalled she might say <laughs> not appalled but confused um, but yeah I just think that there is something about how she has just kind of elevated to a level of songwriting and artistry that she is very much capable of I mean her propensity for a hook is evident um, and it also just seems so effortless for her as well um, there's so many tracks on this album that I just would have swimming along in my head it's also an album that um, whenever I my aforementioned friend Hannah who kind of really was pushing the Taylor Swift agenda on me um, you know there was one night where we safely had a few drinks and I, the two of us are just like, let's throw Taylor Swift on. So it's just, it's very fun. Me, like the, I find that this album is actually just very fun. It's very like, it's very inviting to sing along to as, you know, Dave 
we did have our moment there where we were faux duetting. I felt it. Yeah. Know? It was real. Um, I think, you know, it's just really engaging. I think so, it's a really good album. I, I yeah. think it's the ultimate Dave Hanready 10 tracks. It's a much better album situation. And ultimately, though, it is very strong. I think it's a great artistic statement. I support most of it. But let's please cool it with the five star reviews. Put up at fucking five in the morning. Thank you. Next. Number 19. Place your hands on me. It's a it's a it's a free country Is it really, 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 really was Fitzer from Miles Manley's uh, Cometh the Softies um, another spectacularly titled album would you agree lads? Yeah it's very very it's strong. It's very good. It's it usually good comes title. correct with the titling. Yeah I especially loved how he named his debut album Greatest Hits 2012-2013 um, yeah Miles Manley is just someone who I think is a great songwriter um, again he is someone who just has such a natural ear for writing a song that becomes completely ingrained in your ear. Um, I have been working on the Live from Gorilla Studios show. Uh, we had him on with his band, his band as well. Holy Moses. His band are just exceptional. Um, he's got Chris Barry, who of course has worked a lot with um, Junior Brother and Maya Sophia. He's a real kind of stalwart in this like independent Irish music scene at the moment. He's great. Um, he His drummer as well, Soul of Kelly, is just so captivating like to watch him um, performing along with Miles while he's playing songs is just such a treat um, I love just how idiosyncratic as well Manly is as a performer and as a musician and an artist um, I thought that this album it's like maybe like 26 minutes long so Dave right oh, up your nice. alley I like what I'm hearing yeah 26 minutes long and it just constantly delivers it doesn't sleep for a moment um, I love how distinct as well Manly's vocals are um, so for me once this album came out it was just it was such an immediate thing that I loved it I loved returning to it and it's definitely one I think that will be in my uh, my arsenal for a while yeah, I'm just kind of getting familiar with it. Have had a few listens. It's I like his kind of Irish brand of anti-folk, which can be a bit like of an acquired taste for people. So he does feel like quite a cult figure. And he was away for a while. Like I just, I felt like he vanished. I'm glad he's back. But I love those kind of, yeah, Irish Jonathan Richmond vibes. Mm, really yeah. inventive. <laughs> Number 
why it's our old friend Phoebe Bridgers and the album is called Punisher uh, made a big fucking impact this year I, I I would suggest as we did suggest in the songs portion of the No Encore Songs there which I assume you've heard already listener um, yeah I mean like I it's funny because Craig on that episode said something to the degree of you felt the album was a bit one note yeah it's slow paced for sure right it's- yeah Again, I think it's mood music. I think you got to yeah. be in that place. I think she captures those little broken details very, very well. Um, it's funny because like, I like this album a lot. I thought it might have been higher on our list. But at the same time, I mean, like, there is a cult surrounding Phoebe Bridgers and there is the, I wonder if there's the propensity to maybe over sing it and there's the whole personality versus the art argument. But also it's still so fucking early in her career. And I think that she's been quite prolific and seems to have just burst out this year she was a name that I'd previously seen mentioned a lot or I'd heard her pop up on say that 1975 album from last year and then there was the better Oblivion Community Centre stuff but ultimately I feel like she was always on the fringes but now she's fucking front and centre and I I don't quite know what did it but this album obviously was the the product of like uh, like of this kind of run that was front and centre and even everything from the artwork which I think is great uh, to the whole aesthetic you know like it works for me I don't think it's incredible but I think it's very good. I think she's an easy buy-in right now for sure, right? As you say, the whole kind of package just works and she's an immense talent. So it feels like she's having, this is this is her time. I don't know if the album, in terms of the evolution of her artistry, really justifies it. Like I think Stranger in the Alps was extremely good and this moves things on slightly, but not a huge amount. This was no kind of real revelation for me, although I think some of the songs are great. She's amazing for detail. Some of her lyrics are outstanding. Um, and it's all kind of quite sumptuous sounding like if you're in the right mood for it you can just sink into it but yeah some of the melodies a little bit samey and there wasn't enough kind of surprises maybe for me but still a very good album I will say as well I think there is this weird thing with her again whether it's the saturation thing whether it is the personality thing it's strange because you know and whether it's the meme thing but like in the year that this was released and it's out less than a full year Mm it's almost already kind of cliche to say that you like Phoebe Bridgers. And I don't know what that is or what that means, but like, I'm just seeing it to be like, again, it goes back to like, I've just seen people say stuff like, you know, she's, you know, Taylor Swift won a mm. Phoebe Bridgers Like saying you like Phoebe Bridgers feels like a meme in itself. Yeah. I know, you know right? I mean? But like, why the fuck is that? It's cliche to say you like Phoebe Bridgers. It's controversial to say you don't like her kind of thing. Like, Maybe, yeah, that could be a thing. Yeah. Where it's like the personality is so overwhelming, the legion of fans is going to come at you or whatever. And she might even come at you herself on Twitter. Yeah. She's very active there. It's that kind of reflection of, a, of that artistry in 2020 where it's like, you know, the, the multimedia thing, which of course... 975 is one spectrum of it but also yeah. Phoebe Bridges is like another and I don't know I mean like does it overshadow the work? Yeah I don't know like I think as we discussed in the previous episode um, I think I've kind of made my stall very clear that I'm not a, I, I don't like Phoebe Bridges at all um, I um, but in saying that um, listening to Punisher I can completely appreciate that there are some really nice kind of intricacies to the arrangements and the instrumentation I think a a key example for that that I do actually really enjoy is the opening track DVD menu I think that that is as Craig was saying it's really sumptuous Um, it's very lush and I think that there is just a bit of a tweeness to her Um, and also like on that album you have um, like the title track Punisher all I hear is Disney 
um, that the kind of the melody to that is very much like um, what is the I know you I've dreamed of you do you know that Disney song I do yeah but keep going no <laughs> um, it just had that similar kind of pacing which is very slumberous it's really um, I love that word very th- good th- thank you uh <laughs> Thanks, once. Um, it's very slumberous. It's very, I don't want to say hypnotic, um, but it has that. Um, Do you think it's boring? Oh, Dave, you can look at my page in front of me here and I have extremely boring <laughs> underlined twice. Hypnotic is very close to boring, I find, at yeah. times. <laughs> I do think... It's an ambulance, yeah. yeah. Look, I, I think very that good this, Thanks. This, um, this album definitely has its moments where it is enjoyable. 100%. I am not going to deny that. But I do think for the most part, and again, I alluded to it on the, the songs episode where I think she's in, incredibly savvy in how she has like, you know, pivoted towards and also used collaborations very wisely to for her own gains and I am again I am not criticising her for doing that I think you know if you're a musician you're an artist you see someone that you have a likeness with fire ahead collaborate with them um but I do just kind of see, like, even on this album, you have, um, like, Julian Baker, Lucy Jacus, Blake Mills, Connor Oberst, they feature here. Um, obviously, their previous collaborators of hers, yeah, she is completely within her rights to bring them on board. Um, but I just feel that, like, especially the Connor Oberst kind of flavour to an influence on her music I think is very strong and I think the Elliot Smith strand on Connor Oberst is incredibly strong um so yeah I just kind of think I yes she is very early in her career I'm not writing her off entirely I find her vocals very annoying I find her lyrics not very engaging um but look she could have a fantastic fourth or fifth album. She could have a Taylor Swift moment and I'm not going to write her off, so yeah. Well, up next, an artist who steadfastly does not play the game and I think ultimately their art is quite singular for it. Number 17. That, of course, was Crimson Tide from uh, Dan Behar, Canadian artist, uh, also known as Destroyer, who returned in January of this year with Have We Met, which I don't know about you guys. It's a pretty good album. Oh, just that clip cheered oh, me up immensely. Just, uh, just even like hearing it, like hearing him say the line chicken shit singers, it's so good because so there are so many and, artists yeah. that I would consider chicken shit as well. Yeah, maybe so. some on this list. Uh, <laughs> I dug up a tweet of mine from January if you'd like to hear it. Oh, I'd love oh, to. Oh, yes. This should be a segment on the show. <laughs> Craig's old tweets that like... It's quite succinct and maybe a bit flippant. Hi, my album 
album of 2020 is whatever Destroyer releases next week. End <laughs> tweet. Um, I think he placed maybe number six on my list, so a failure. <laughs> an unmitigated failure. Um, but yeah, Don Bashar is... <laughs> um, Ken, his last album was maybe my album of that year. I think it was 2017. Yeah. And it's like, how many peaks does this guy have? Like the last decade or so, longer, he's just released minor classics. And this is... So strong, like it goes back to, I think, a lot of his kaput approach in terms of the stream of consciousness stuff. Um, Mm. Even like listening to him talk about recording the album is like engrossing. Do you know what I mean? Just like the influences that are there, the complete changes to his process. He's captivating. He's such a singular dude. There's a kind of hint of like villainy about him, but in a real cartoon, wholesome way. And... Yeah, hidden depths as well, for sure. I'd love to go for a pint to them. Oh my God, yes. So yeah. badly. I like. I also kind of have a running joke on um, Twitter at the moment with uh, Leagues O'Toole, Irish promoter, who will always kind of on Twitter be like, new show announcing soon. And I'm just like, <laughs> it's Destroyer, isn't it? Um, I actually saw Destroyer playing Button Factory last year, two years ago maybe, and it was empty. Like there was maybe about 30 people there. It's so depressing when that happens. But at the same time... I wasn't there, by the way, so I'm the problem. (laughs) But at the same time, it's depressing, but at the same time, I also kind of love it because you have space. There's no, like... There's no, like, dickheads in the crowd who are just showing up because, like... Craig wasn't there, so, I mean, like... (laughs) Hey, Craig's a nice guy. Yeah, a nice guy. Hey. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just really fun. He is, I just think he is such a, a singular artist as well. Um, and this came out obviously in January, so well before coronavirus. And I think that just like the way in which he recorded this album is just extreme coronavirus where um, there's a quote yeah. where he's like... Um, this album is a, it was characterised by being uh, born out of isolation with a motif of a couple of individuals huddled around the glow of a computer light. So basically he recorded, so a lot of the lyrics he had were kind of um, just like snapshots of short stories he had written over the years or just like lyrics he had. And he was in his family home in... Um, Is it Vancouver he's living in? Yeah, Vancouver. So at night when his daughter was asleep, his wife's asleep, he'd be in the kitchen just like over a microphone. like, And that's why there's that intimacy with this album um, where his vocals are really hushed. Um, So yeah, he's just in his kitchen doing it. And then he would send over files to John Collins, who is, I think, really the left arm to his right arm kind of thing. I think the two of them work so magically together. Um, but I, yeah, I just think that Have We Met is such a supl- sublime, so diverse, um, kind of dark, phenomenal song. The music television, or what, the television? Supervisor. Yes, thank you, Craig. Um, the three bottles have affected <laughs> me. Um, I just think that the worlds that he creates in his songs are... Kind of like Edgar Allan Poe esque yeah, to yeah. a certain Quote way. The Raven. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Such a good song. It's like higher. Um, yeah, I just think he's a legend. Everything he puts out, I just think is class. Um, he's one I came to late, but I'm very glad that I came to him. We've had Craig's old tweets, and now it's time for another segment that we love so much. It's Dave's Discoveries. <laughs> <laughs> Number 16. Can drink, can get it out. 
Trust a band by the name of Creeper. The name of the record is Sex, Death and the Infinite Void. It is the second studio album from this band. They've been around since 2014. Now, um, like I say, it was discovery for me because a couple of times this year I found myself on Any Decent Music and it has led to me seeing like a band I've never heard of, high up in the ratings, uh, getting high marks uh, kind of a, across the board. It's an aggregator site and on a whim, just being like, fuck, I'll give that a go. Don't know anything about them. Give it a go. Fire up Spotify. And yeah, two or three times this year, it has resulted in two or three albums that are in this list uh, or on my own top 20 list for sure. High up there. And this is one of them. Um, I just found it irresistible. Like it's a word that Sarah's been using like the last couple of episodes. And like it is like sometimes like, like just that plain thing of being drawn into something and coming back to it a lot. Um, I was just very disarmed by it. Where would you say that this band are from based on the vocal style and the music style that you heard there? Southampton. They are in fact from Southampton in England. <laughs> Zara Such has a good ears, Because <laughs> <laughs> I assumed I was like, well, they're clearly from like LA or fucking, you know, Florida or something. I don't know. Florida. Big MCR vibes. Delaware. I was going to say, yeah. this is like, this album to me is the best My Chemical Romance album that My Chemical Romance never made. Yeah. And we're living in a time when, you know, they, they were supposed to have their big comeback this year. They were supposed to be playing in fucking Kilmainham and like doing a world tour. And I guess an album might, maybe would have followed. But look, Dave, I guess we'll carry on. I guess we will. Um, but to be fair, the Mechanical Romance... <laughs> Sonic Architect sign. But the, but the Mechanical Romance comparisons go yeah. beyond like just like like like, like the surface. And Zara's right to, to highlight uh, Welcome to the Black Parade because <laughs> this album is a concept album. Mm. And I used to be so affronted by concept albums. I used to be affronted by the vocals of Dan Behar. We talked about him in the last one. I, I, I couldn't get into him for years. And then I was like, oh my God, actually, no, Destroyer is great. Um, and I used to like the word concept album. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? But then, you know, I realised that was maybe some snobbery on my behalf. Uh, this one, though, is about like a lot of different things. It was inspired by a place in California called Dunsmuir, uh, a town in which the band stopped in during a US tour when they were on tour with a band called Waterparks. The album's narrative follows an angel who comes to a small town intending to warn people of a coming apocalypse. However, soon finds himself turning to sin as he falls in love with a woman that he meets and subsequently invokes the wrath of her fiancé. Other characters in the story include seven families, each of whom represent one of the seven deadly sins. So it's high concept for a record that's about 16 songs long and only around 40 minutes. There's a lot to pack in there. The song that we heard there is called Annabelle and I thought it was maybe the most you know, kind of theatrical, gospel-y example of this very, very performative vaudevillian thing. Uh, I just found it to be like, it created a world. It created a world that I found intriguing. It felt like I was reading a book. Um, mm. I just thought it was really disarming. I like that style anyway. I don't think my camera grow into the greatest band of all time or anything, but I think this kind of, this kind of pop punk done well and an occasional symbol hit, you know, can, can, can always be good. <laughs> Yeah, it just stayed with me. I found myself constantly listening to it and I thought it was incredibly charming and kind of singular in its way. Maybe like my camera romance disappearing was good for this band. But then again, apart from that Metacritic or any decent music dive, I haven't seen much else about them. Um, Dave, it's fun. there's two points there that you raised in your... Um, in, ramble. In, hold on. It was eloquent. I ramble. Eloquent. Uh, look, you didn't ramble off Cliff. On occasion. Um, but you mentioned there um, that it was like reading a book. I completely get that when I was listening to it last night. Actually, I really got graphic novel from it. Definitely. Uh, you also mentioned <clears throat> The Seven Deadly Sins. I would like to kind of maybe introduce a segment for this album of The Seven Deadly Influences. Oh, wow. nice. <laughs> 
Okay. Unfortunately, we don't have time, sir. <laughs> Hold on. You two had your own segment. That is ridiculous. <laughs> um, so, obviously, my chemical romance, we've been saying, is, have been a huge influence on the uh, sound of this album. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, when I was listening to it last night, there was um, a number of names and artists that came to my mind of which I would like to... Um, she slides over the page. <laughs> of which I would like to share with you guys right now. And there is actually seven of them. So Hit me. Alex Turner. Yeah. There is one particular bridge in which it's just like Tranquility Base Hotel. Okay. Who's here? The, no, sorry, the Hoosiers. I was like, wait, Hoosiers? I was like, I know there's like church stuff. No, because the word in my notebook. The Hoosiers. Sorry, because the note in my notebook was Hoosier-esque. Oh my God. So, the Hoosiers. Okay. Right. Um, Jarvis Cocker. Yeah. A good thing. Orville Peck. These are all good things, I think. Guns and Roses. Right. Mm, Fleetwood Mac. Sure. Very good. And finally, Patrick Wolf. I mean, like, most of this is e. good. Sorry, that's a reference no one will get except just like trying to send people from yeah. ten years ago. We'll, we'll get that one. He, um, yeah, they wants were. You to watch. He, they were it kind of touch points that I got throughout. So if anyone has any kind of yeah fondness for any of those artists, uh, especially the Hoosiers, because obviously they were huge. Well, I mean, this is a good example of like where you can you can have that kind of maze like thing of influences and not be too derivative. It felt like it was doing its own thing. Once again, the band is called Creeper. The name of the album is Sex, Death and the Infinite Void. I say it again because like I really haven't seen much of this elsewhere this year. And I think it is I think it's a real fun trip and I mm. highly recommend it. Number fifteen. <laughs> is free taken from Untitled uh, Rise from Salt um, the mysterious collective based in London who have released two albums this year um, I was naively thinking maybe both albums would end up in the top five that did not happen we're <laughs> wow, here with one okay, at 15 that's... you know it depends entirely on what people are listening to but they really had a huge impact on me so Rise was the second one of the year um, the initial release was Black Is which landed around about June and just really struck a chord um, a lot of kind of songs thematically dealing with black empowerment um, but just you know sublime sounds really strong songwriting just like liquid production liquid production <laughs> <laughs> but like it just instantly reminded me of like what it must have been like you know being around for when Massive Attack were releasing mm-hmm. Blue Lions or some of their classic albums getting them on release day and that excitement it felt like of that calibre to me um, so Black Is yeah was getting kind of five star notices um, in a lot of places and I think Rise the follow up somehow kind of gazumped even that album because there was kind of some sketches and interludes and things on Black Is that like I'm, I'm not sure how it'll help the longevity this is just a much smoother listen it introduces kind of disco strings it's 
a bit more playful um, whilst the songs are equally as strong and yeah there's a lot of talent with this group they've released four albums in the last 18 months which is so which much is, yeah <laughs> and like, considering the quality level is mm. unbelievable this is the thing I mean like like it's it's an intimidating prospect with any act that has so much like the density here is fucking colossal yeah but it does manage to kind of quickly just draw you in which is great but like at the same time I think one of the reasons why uh, neither album appeared way high up for me was because I just haven't quite got my head around it yeah, yet. Like, I really haven't. Fair. And, like, you talk about active listening, you know, you talk about, I'm, I'm doing your thing now, like, like liquor production. Like, <laughs> you talk about your uh, your Lampard, your Gerrards. Like, it's just like, I feel like it's very hard to kind of sit with this because, first of all, it's very active, very animated, and, like, you know, it's, it's tough to just kind of switch off the rest of the world and, like, get into it. And also, like, you mentioned that point before of how we haven't really been going a lot of places and this feels like a place, like, like like one for like a long bus ride or, you know, a late night commute or, I don't know, like coming coming to and from a gig. Yeah. And the fact that we've just been kind of fucking sitting in the same rooms all year, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I learned of these albums late and I've still yet to figure them out. That's part of the fun, but it kind of puts them in a very difficult position for end of year lists, you know? Yeah, totally. And I think even as a group, I mean, we know very little about them. Um, I think Inflow seems to be one of the main people behind it. Uh, he's done a lot of work with Michael Kiwanuka, who I think is on this album as well. Uh, Little Sims. But yeah, I think their press, level of press has stopped because of what's happening this year, mm-hmm. for sure. So maybe 2021, we're going to get a bit more from the group. But yeah. Yeah, this was an album um, that I just, it completely went under my radar. I didn't know it at all. Um, On that Zoom call, I remember just being like, Sol, I'm not familiar, but I'm excited. Apparently it's an acronym, but like no one knows what it stands for. Shall we try and figure it out now until we... um, Oh yeah, let's add half an hour on the show. (laughs) No, let's come back in the Um, new year. uh, (laughs) We've had a chance to think about it. David, it was a joke. I mean, look, you know, it's like, you you never know, right? Um, You take you out your word. But this album and one other album on this list, which I won't reveal yet, um, had completely just uh, slipped under my radar. um, And listening to them, I was just really reinvigorated by them. I thought this was amazing. Um, Craig, you mentioned Michael Kimanuka and Inflow, um, who they have collaborated a lot. It really reminded me of Kimanuka a lot, that uh, Michael Kimanuka's album from last year. Um, I loved this. I love. Um, when an album can be kind of ambiguous in its um, when it came out like I feel like even though this does have very contemporary hallmarks to it it also does seem like something that is kind of like a crate digger find from the 1970s yeah. which I really really like um, when an, I, and I think that that is something that a lot of artists probably try to strive towards, but it's so hard to do so well. Um, yeah, there's no like faux vintage feel. Exactly. They're not, you know, trying yeah. too much. It's just timeless, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, I think they just put the right amount of magic into the pot and... I just find, found that as well, like listening to this album, it had the right amount of also just like interludes as well. I thought that they also worked really well within this world. Um, the arrangements like we heard there, they're really fun. They're very immediate. Um, and also I just found that like some of the interludes also were just very engaging and grabbing. Um, where say 
uh, what comes to mind is like the US Girls album Heavy Light that had oh, quite yeah. a few like interlude bits that did not work. Did not work. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just was really excited listening to this and um, I'm really looking forward to revisit all the other albums that I'm yet to uncover. Number 14. Nation of Language and the album Introduction Presence. Uh, the song is called Tournament. It's the opener to the record. You heard the closer on the Songs of the Year episode. The the Wall and I is the name of that song. And, you know, I could have chose either. I mean, like in terms of the songs, I mean, like I think that they are wonderful dovetails on a record that I found to be exceptionally invigorating. I just love spending time in that world. Um, it made me feel good. I think Zara used the phrase 10 feet tall on the last episode about, you know, maybe leaving a gig or something and like I gotta feel like if I saw these guys and heard this album live I would feel that way uh, it just kind of powered me along and again I was late to it I'm still kind of spending a lot of time with it which I find very exciting uh, I think this is their debut album and I've seen it referred to by some people as like it sounds almost like a greatest hits and it does it's lean as fuck I believe it's 10 tracks which obviously you know thank you very much um <laughs> But like, it <laughs> thank just, you. Next, <laughs> it just worked, and I mean, like, uh, to quote from the closing of the Pitchfork review, uh, they said, "Introduction presence doesn't offer any great reinventions. Notes of altered images, or Depeche Mode, or even modern contemporaries like Black Marble uh, are impossible to ignore while listening. But their understanding of the genre they're working in, its workings, tropes, and trappings, is so refined that they're able to boil it down to its barest essence, saving catharsis for just the right moment." And notes that that moment arrives with the final song, The Wall and I. Uh, it said that the singer sounds just as trapped in his circumstances as he always does, but for once feels like he might transcend them as well. Notes that, like, it, the album ends on not necessarily a comforting epiphany, but fitting for a record built on making peace within the past, taking small steps to something grander. And I think that kind of sums it up for me, because I feel like it is that, you know, really human thing. We're all flawed. We're all trying, you know, every fucking day of our lives. We try something. We try and do something, whether it is minor or major, whether it is life changing or not. And the best music for me captures that and just has that kind of universal feeling. But the thing that kind of punches through a bit harder, the emotional stuff that I always love to go to. And I know it when I hear it and I know it when I heard it and I love this fucking album. Yeah, I've been really been enjoying it. Just coming to it late. I kind of kind of hope we get some like snow or something so I can walk around Lake Slope and stick this on and just be moody. Like I think that will work <laughs> really well. It's very hard in the sleeve, but also like stylish with it, which is mm. great. It reminds me a little bit of Stars, but yeah, it's just total sucker for this. Do you also good. like a Craig because uh, Fab Moretti from The Strokes is a collaborator of um, the singer. Ian Devaney. Really? Okay, yeah, yeah like a more now. Yeah. So Fab- <laughs> <laughs> Let's move it up a few places, shall uh, we? So Fab actually Talk plays Fab plays drums on um, Indignities and Sacred Tongue. So Ian uh, Devaney has a side project with Fab called Machine Gun. Um, and yeah, Fab came on board to play some drums. So your boy. Incredible. Yeah, I, I actually 
really enjoyed this album as we said in the songs it did bring me back to kind of like my teenage era and yeah nation there's just a sense of escape on it which I just found to be really there's just a great sense of nostalgia too yeah yeah but it didn't feel to me it didn't feel forced it kind of felt like (laughs) yeah yeah, cool this is what they're doing and they're doing it well yeah kind of reminded me of how like say Ott did nostalgia sure yeah nation of language baby (laughs) number 13 if everything It's called What's Your Pleasure. The song is the opener. It's called Spotlight. This is a very, very enjoyable disco-themed record. And I would argue, guys, in a year of disco. The best know, disco I record? think it was the best disco record. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They finished my thought. Roisin Murphy, Kylie Minogue, shuffle off, lads. It's all about Jesse Ware. <laughs> oh, David, I think that's a bit inappropriate to say that. Like, Shuffle off. It's a d- disco dance floor. Like, It's like yeah. I'm trying to be... Craig, Craig isn't wearing his disco boots tonight which I, I know no Craig. I apologise just the what suit what happened man it was Mank out and I was like this is not the you night Mank? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> have you this heard this is not the night for white disco boots I'm aware that you've missed your cinema engagement with Mank due to copious Twice. alcohol intake but look listen we're doing Jesse Ware <laughs> a disservice here Azar and I reviewed this album yeah. together in yeah. Scout back in the summer yeah. and uh, we were very taken with it weren't we it's a great evening I <laughs> loved this album um, actually listening to Spotlight there it's just it's so effective it's so um, it, it really possesses you like uh, and I wouldn't have been I remember like reviewing this album and I remember coming to you and just being like look I'm not a huge Jesse Ware fan have actually stuck this on out of curiosity and I adore this Um there was just so many reference points to this album from Minnie Ripperton to Donna Summer to Giorgio Moroder um, that really spoke to me in such um, an immediate way. I absolutely loved this. Um, I thought that her and James Ford um, did a great job of, you know, producing this album, creating the sound and also doing that like throwback thing that we were talking about earlier but making it contemporary and making it her own um Craig you and I did Kylie together yeah we didn't have such success there was some highlights for sure there was some, some highlights moments of Kylie magic but yeah. overall trying a bit too hard yeah exactly whereas Jessie where she just this might be a bit of a bizarre kind of like image to have with this but like I just immediately got like um, figure skating like ice skating like kind of like the grace of it yeah, like, yeah it just like glides along and it's just so um, again to use that word that I don't really like to use when describing music like hypnotic it's just so engrossing and spell spellbinding I guess is probably a better even though spells and magic are not real either um, well it depends I don't know I mean 
Depends well, on the magician. Uh, there, might be some, there could be some druids listening to the show who could disagree with what you're saying. You know? No, I respect that. No, I do yeah. respect that. Respect druids. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they'll respect you. Yeah, please God. Um, but yeah, I just thought that this was really engaging, mm. confident, sultry, warm, and I would 100% party with Jesse Ware. When well, it's safe to do unreal, so. Unreal, yeah. When yeah, it's safe to great. do so. Um, this is a brilliant record went to it immediately after your guys review because it just sounded like right up my street I was a big fan of hers from way back but like her debut album Devotion that was the debut right 2013 I think I just really sounds right yeah yeah I always loved that album and she's had you know some trials and tribulations over years just career wise so it was really great to see this kind of great statement from her it feels kind of like luxurious but also like emotionally available and I don't know, just air-conditioned or something and pristine and uh, yeah. Uh, the opening trio of songs in particular are something else. Ooh La La, I think it's the best song called Ooh La La this year, though there's some competition maybe elsewhere. Um, and the closer is brilliant. So yeah, she's this. she totally owns it. This is her sound and yeah, fantastic record. Yeah, it's been said before that she was on the verge maybe of calling it a day. I think even her mother was encouraging her to do this. Yeah, but, she's just but like, now what they, are you doing? Uh, <laughs> now they do a podcast together. So, you know, other podcasts are available, but uh, please don't leave us. We have abandonment issues. Number 12. Yes, the wistful, uh, bittersweet, broken-hearted uh, beauty of The Flaming Lips there. The album's American Head as uh, song being Flowers of Neptune 6. And yeah, I think into their fifth decade as a band, which is a bit terrifying. Um, I'd stop paying attention to them maybe a decade or two ago. Um, a huge return to form, mm. kind of out of nowhere. I know I, I kind of previously have talked about how I've grown to appreciate their work with Miley Cyrus um, unexpectedly, but um, I did not see this coming. And a concept album that I think has grounded them a bit, right, Sarah? Yeah, actually. Um, so when you, during the summer, were talking about um, the Miley Cyrus Flame Lips album, it piqued my interest. And I was like, yeah. okay, I must, I must listen to that. And I remember actually, uh, weird kismet here, but I listened to it cycling to the Phoenix Park to meet you, David. Oh, yeah? And I was just like, Safely, I was listening to obviously. Craig on my way to meet you. Um, and I loved it. I thought it was yeah. so great. Um, and then I reviewed uh, this Flaming Lips album and absolutely adored it um, to the point where this album actually finished in my top five. Um, I just thought that you know, Flaming Lips are a band, as you said, they're in their fifth decade, which is kind of wild to think. Yeah. Like, um, But within that time, they are a band who have gone through maybe a couple of different phases. Um, 
they've been really experimental. They've gone through their kind of like alt rock kind of wave. Then they went through their like collaborating with like big pop stars thing. And now I actually really like where they're settled on this quite like sweet uh, 70s Americana um, yeah, like that cosmic American music it's thing. So They're so nice. good at it. And I really, really loved Casey Musgraves on this album as well, as we heard there on that song. Her on the opening track as well is just sublime. Um, and a word, actually, when I was listening to this album initially when it came out, I just, like, sublime was the word that I just kept returning to. Um, I think it's a really, like, sonically, I think it's really masterful. I think it is. Some of their um, most accomplished, ambitious stuff, um, if that's bold enough to say. Um, I just, I also just thought it was a great entry point to them because obviously they have the huge hits. But when you actually go to try and listen to those albums with the huge hits, there's a lot of like bloat to them. With this album, I kind of think they've compacted things a lot more. Yeah, there are still moments where you are a bit like, okay, I can't wait for this bit to be over. But for the most part, I actually just thought everything ran really nicely. Um, I think Wayne Coyne's lyricism is actually at his strongest here. Um, Mortality is a huge influence on it. We get an insight into his family life and growing up um, in a similar way to like what we were talking about with Bob Dylan in the last episode. We get someone from a generation where the American dream and the direct kind of influence of that was very prescient. And we have someone from that time's perspective, as opposed to say, like someone who's in their 20s who wants to write critically about that era when they didn't actually experience it. Um, So I just thought that everything tied together really nicely. Um, I actually thought this was a very sincere output from the band as well. And I just... I really loved this. Um, I don't really have many bad things to say about it, to be honest. Yeah, I think the caricature of Flaming Lips is that mm. they're like the kind of hippie burnout mm. band, right? And yeah. like they're a bit wacky sometimes and slightly irritating at other, other times. But I think, yeah, that story of the fading of the hippie dream is something they can tap into really well. Mm. So I think Wayne Coyne got like obsessed with um, Tom Petty's pre like solo career Heartbreakers um, band Mudcrutch. Yeah. We played with it in like Tulsa before he moved to LA and made it big and he was just like, okay, let's imagine this was like this small American band that never quite made it, you know, took too much LSD, things went a bit wrong. We can definitely empathise and sympathise. We took, you know, years to make it we know those stories intrinsically let's write about them and it becomes this really authentic thing and I think it just tethers that kind of psychedelic sounds they have and it just Mm. makes it all the more emotional and it's kind of frazzled it's funny at times but it is pretty devastating fairly often yeah and like um just even like the going back as well to like just the sincerity of it like when you hear like songs like um what is it um uh Mother, please don't. Or the mother, mother, I've taken LSD. Or no, Mother, I've ta- taken LSD. It's the song where it's about Wayne Coyne being held up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, at the restaurant, which is a true story. Um, so I just think that like making things really local as well, like within like a kind of Oklahoma setting, and also you're immediately, I think, because of the soundscapes here, you're immediately 
immediately brought back to the 70s. And I think that's something of our generation where obviously we're you guys are in your mid 30s I'm still in my 20s early 30s <laughs> Jesus mid 30s also like the, the, the throw of like well I'm still in my mid 20s or like what the fuck um, but I think that like <laughs> <laughs> yes I'm old I get um, it but I think that like our generation have been kind of ticketed with something with like, you know, a lot of culture at the moment, films, television is very 70s, but like there's a lot of throwback television. So for us to visualise the 70s and especially American 70s, it's actually quite easy for us to um, create in our minds. So listening to an album like American Head, where it is set in the 70s in Oklahoma, it's very easy for us to visualise it, which I think is such a treat and which I think also gives an extra dimension to this record. Number 11. The songs are lies The songs are lies Step aside, son Step aside, son. They're gonna get uh, that. Of course, was protest song. Step aside, son, because Craig. Why? You're gonna get hurt. Oh, <laughs> thought you were gonna do the Hoyt. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was protest song from Gold Record. Uh, Bill Callahan's the seventh album under his own name, but je- like realistically speaking it's his 18th overall album including his smog releases um i think that bill callahan is an absolute songwriting legend um in the last uh couple of months especially in lockdown and in work in particular he has really soundtracked a lot of days of packing up orders going to the post office um and all that kind of stuff. I think he's an artist that really seamlessly melds deeply uh, emotive images and sentiments and then can, in the in the blink of an eye, make you, like, bring that kind of um, tingly feeling in your eye ducts where you're about to cry. Um, I... I think he's uh, one of those artists that just can bring out a whole load of emotions. He can be so funny. He's so intelligent. He's such um, an eloquent writer. And he's definitely someone that I would listen to to try and better my own way of phrasing. I don't know if you guys would have that, but he's definitely someone that I would go to to try and be better with words which I'm as you can hear now not very good at um I thought this album gold album which was recorded in a week um it's a it's kind of for the most part a revisitation of some of his old songs um you get let's move through the country on this which is obviously from smog's album knock knock which is also unreal um but I think He's talked a lot about how like domesticity has become a huge influence on his writing. He got married, he had a son and that's really trickled into 
his music, um, his world has become a bit smaller and that he's very neighbourhood. Um, it's a real kitchen sink now, but a very kind of funny way. Like one of the lines in this album that really strikes me is from the Mackenzies, where he's like, I'm the kind of guy who will see his neighbour in the garden and then just stay inside, even though I have to do something. It's like... Yeah, I definitely relate to that. Um, <laughs> what about you guys, Craig? I imagine you're a, a Bill, I'm a not Bill the, boy. I'm not the biggest Bill head, you're not to be a Bill honest. Boy. No, because I think in like the smog years, I had this image of him as quite like um, self-important, maybe, and kind of in love with the myth of him as like this kind of very clever songwriter. I don't know if that was fair whatsoever. That was just like I wasn't that familiar with his work. Like I remember like songs like I Break Horses and things like that. I just, I remember thinking this guy sounds like he's writing clever songs to get women. Um, so I went off and listened to Ryan Adams and Mark Hoslick instead. Um, so I was wrong, is what I'm saying. Because it does seem like reading some recent interviews with him and his more recent albums, he's like a recovering misanthrope, really, right? Yeah. He seems to be becoming a more... I don't know if it's fatherhood or just kind of aging his like humanity is flourishing a bit and he seems more generous and kind of um, the songwriting on this is very warm very funny at times and occasionally quite heartbreaking but yeah I think he does on a number of occasions all the songs are strong but he will puncture the kind of myth of the songwriter even just opening it with that kind of like hello I'm Johnny Cash yeah. closing with you know Sincerity Al Cohn yeah. Um, he plays into that a lot in a really knowing, clever way. And yeah, I need to spend more time with this and his back catalogue because, yeah, he's his, very, very good. His last album as well, Shepherd in a Sheepskin Vest, was was really... Uh, it's not that it's uh, it's not challenging or laborious, but it's it's a much longer album, um, and I've really liked how he has uh, approached releasing his music. Um, so with this album, he announced it in June and was like, "I'm going to release a song every week until it's released." So basically, he had the whole album like leading up to it. With his last album, he released it in four batches. Or or yeah four batches of four songs as like an EP and then all together like at the end of it um, I just think he does that thing as well kind of I, I feel kind of gas like comparing him to like the Taylor Swift kind of songwriting trope of that he does that thing of the like the car- the, the vague character thing yeah Um. One of my favourite, favourite moments on this album is the, I think it's the opening track Pigeons where he's the, the car driver with the newlywed couple. Um, I just think that's, he's such an amazing storyteller and the tone of his voice as well. It's kind of similar to the Bob Dylan thing of like, he really draws you in. He's another person that I would love to go for a pint with um, <laughs> I heard him interviewed a couple of, like two years ago on Creative Control that podcast and he just sounds like such a dude like I really like him um, and this album is definitely one that I think I've spent the most time with or well we won't get into top five but <laughs> I've spent time with it cool. number 10 Someone who can find the trail, oh, find the trail, yeah. 
into our hearts and minds it's Paddy Hanna number 10 and the album is The Hill and yeah I mean obviously we had Paddy on the show a few months ago breaking down this album track by track in detail this song is a strange request and I mean again it's interesting because like I feel like The Hill is such a lived in experience in its own kind of strange terms you know from the surreal to the theatrical to the everyday mundanity of you know just what you see at your kitchen window which is one of the big tracks on the record the spoken word one and I feel like it's almost as part of your disservice to cut this thing up into like short snippets because it's not that kind of a record. Um, I do wonder if, you know, like we talked about before on the songs episode, if maybe he's a victim of his own commitment to abstraction, but at the same time, I can only ever applaud an artist for ambition and Paddy has it in spades. Yeah, I agree. And the band on this album as well are just stunning. Superb. Mm. The playing is great. It's really robust. Uh, it's like a jumble sale of ideas. It's just so much to discover. Um, and yeah, I will revisit this quite a lot. He's he's so idiosyncratic. Like there's just, there's no one doing what he does out there. Yeah. And even I remember listening to the opening track on this album and just being floored by it. Um, I think what he achieves with it, the whole um, Marconi, um influence to it. It's like spaghetti western, it's Italian horror, yeah. it's it's just, it's so ambitious, but at the same time when you listen to it, he just makes it sound so easy um, and I just think that there is kind of no one really like Paddy in Ireland at the moment doing what he's doing. Definitely so, not. Yeah. No. And also, I mean, like it should also be no Craig mentioned the band, but in that band and yeah. I guess on the mixing desk producer, uh, Daniel Fox of Girl Band, of course, who I guess is like plowing his own quiet furrow in the background there, like not content with being in one of the most impactful bands in Ireland of recent times and yeah. a mm. band who've been hailed from, you know, everyone from the Irish Times to just fucking your local dude who likes music. I mean, you know, like it's just like... <laughs> um, it's interesting to see the moves he's making, I think, mm. and to produce a record like this and obviously work with an artist like Paddy. Um, and the, he talked about their relationship when, when I spoke to him and, he, you know, how it was, it's mostly one of give and take, but like obviously in that respectful way. But it's interesting, like just his own kind of sonic imprint to work on an album like this, which is so abstract. The vocals are often indecipherable. Mm. The music is like nothing you've ever heard before. It's clearly enthralled to... A very different time. I mean, decades in which none of us were alive in and just carving that out. So the fact that this exists at all is a fucking miracle. I mean, it's on Strange Beer Records. Paddy made the joke that like Googie, uh, who's his label boss, was like, what happened to the album full of hits you promised me? And he's like, (laughs) oh, I'll do that next time, I suppose. And it's like, it's just interesting that in that kind of push-pull and and, and like Paddy himself has mentioned, you know, obviously feeling a sense of um, I guess mild heartbreak but not getting nominated for the choice prize for Frankie Amute and it's like I don't think this is going to get nominated either because it's just like unless you're into it yeah, then you're why would you like it's 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 overwhelming now mm. I love it but it's it's really not for everyone and I know that's a cliche in and of itself and I know that all of this is deliberate but like I say it's a fascinating project and then you have also like these really sweeping uh, songs on it. And then you have Jog On, Shall We? Which is incredible. It's such an exceptional song. It's so funny. It's basically a WhatsApp voice note. I mean, it's yeah, fucking Yeah, and you feel large. like you're sitting on a park bench beside him. Like, you feel like uh, you're in a park. He's there on his phone sending a message to his friend. And you're just be- beside him eavesdropping on this. And, and you're like, like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah but sure. it's just, it's so good. And... 
Like fuck the choice prize Like yeah. Does that kind of <laughs> Wide ranging talent And just mixing it up So much mean That it's really difficult To plug him into Like a wider conversation Or like construct A narrative I, around like him I Or package before, him or, But I do feel like If he wanted to do yeah. that I think he could I think as a songwriter He could do it I think if he wanted oh, To yeah. be like Here's 10 pop songs That will be on the radio He could do it Oh absolutely Like I mean You have songs of his Like Austria yeah. Bad Boys Like um, Like I say Ultraman, the kisser, like, like, like on the record for the, By them is like such an incredibly oh. straight up accessible jam that I think everyone would enjoy but like it's great that he's pushing those boundaries I just wonder like how far can you go like you know how I just think he is he's someone that constantly excites me because you just are like what is he going to come out yeah. with next and it's just like the pool of imagination and creativity just seems so deep with him that it's just it's really great number nine some symmetry uh, that's Touche Amore the album is Lament I think they were number 9 in the songs I think Patty Hanna was number 10 as well so that's kind of a strange coincidence um, yeah I love the contrast there that's that's kind of fun going from Patty <laughs> Hanna's win some waltzing into some fucking screamo business face melting <laughs> yeah I mean like again it's like it's so hard to kind of just boil this down to I, I spent a long time trying to find like the perfect 30 seconds on this and I couldn't quite find it but I, I think this one works for me so Touche Amore like I said in the last episode an American post-hardcore band from LA this is their fifth album it's called Lament they worked with Ross Robinson who of course brought Slipknot to fame back in the early 2000s he was like the new metal producer he worked on Amen Records as well and that kind of thing and for a while was the guy and then became the guy to not work with and I was kind of like again this was me on Any Decent Music and just seeing this thing pop up and I was like Touche Amore seems like a terrible name for a band why is this getting such high ratings who are they this is their fifth album Ross Robinson's involved okay fine cool I'll give it a go and yeah, it's just like, again, like became a second skin for me over the last couple of months. It's only out since the start of October, which is strange because I feel like I've been listening to it for a lot longer. Um, and the more I've listened to it, I had a few moments where I was like, yeah, this is definitely working for me. Uh, it's definitely working for that kind of part of myself, which loves, you know, like Taking Back Sunday, Brand New, um, Finch, like, you know, like that kind of stuff. And I guess, you know, I would hope the more mature end of that kind of realm Um you know, and obviously, you know, I mentioned Brand New in passing. I don't listen to them anymore, really. I do think they had some incredible stuff and they had a big emotional effect on me. And I found myself being like, that really interesting thing that you have in a year when there isn't a standout record of the year for you. And eventually I was like, I think it's fucking this album. I, yeah, think, I, I think this up is. On you. Yeah, and I'm and, and very much being like, no, no, this is the one. And then being like, listen to it kind of day in, day out from that point of view and being like, fuck, this is unreal, I love this, and it's mine. <laughs> like, this is, like, my thing, and it's getting me through. And ultimately, no album this year spoke more to me on a personal level than this one, and it is Extreme Heart in the Sleeve. 
um, there's like the last track in it is called The Forecast and it starts off and there's even a part where your man like he's on a piano and he says like so here's the record closer still working out its intent and I'm like well that's so meta that like Jesus I don't know if you get away with it but you kind of do and then it breaks into this big fucking like careening section where everything is just coming at you and it finally ends with like this repeated kind of drum beat and then just like stops like a full stop which I loved but even then like you know there's like like it's very very on the nose in terms of the lyrics there's a lyric where it's like um uh, I, like I'm still out in the rain I could use a little shelter um, even in that song there which is called Come Heroin which is the opening track on the record um, there's a part where he's like I'm softer now not hollowed out uh, I'm undone and I found myself finding different interpretations of that lyric and of that line and of that delivery and I found myself writing about it and I found it, ext- I found it extremely hard um, to write this year I found it really really difficult to, to do that it's something that I I loved, um, I think I've fallen out of love with writing. I've talked to some people, some friends. Really? Yeah, I've talked to some people and some friends who've fallen out of love with music and I've found that to be like the the most crushing thing that can happen to somebody. And I always find myself in that situation trying really, really hard to G them back up and be like, I'll make you a playlist or whatever. And I never thought that I would be on the other side of it, which is writing about music, which is something that I, for so long, I I feel like it's the only thing I've, I've known how to do. And I found it really, really hard to find the words for for it but at least this album made me try and I found myself writing some very very negative things about myself when I I tried to tune into it and I I, I reflected those lyrics within that and I thought about how I was like oh I was supposed to be special like when I was a kid people were like you're so intelligent you're going to be something and I feel like now at the age of 36 having lost a job this year which was not my fault whatsoever and getting over um, a relationship that I'm still not over um, this kind of music has been uh, both a salve and a reminder, which is funny because there's a song in here called Reminders, of that kind of feeling. And I found myself writing down words that were incredibly, um, like, they were knives, like, pointed at myself. But I managed, through my relationship with this record, to actually turn them into something stronger than that and something better. And ultimately, the reason I love this album and the reason that I'm able to talk about it this way, but unfortunately still not be able to find it when I'm sitting in front of a computer is that actually, no, I'm like, fuck it, I am better than this. There is a better version of me out there, and I know that, and I know that I will find him again, and it's through music like this that makes me feel that way again. So even yeah. even though I appreciate that this album isn't for everybody, and it ain't perfect, and it ain't fucking subtle, uh, neither am I. <laughs> <laughs> you subtlety too, you're a lot of things, a lot of great things. Um, and we all get a pass this year, don't forget that. But um, Just this year. <laughs> we got, Okay, we've got an eternal pass, how about that? Um it was interesting like my one or two plays through of this it felt like a record not about grief but just full of kind of grief I don't know well it is coming off I mean like I haven't gone back to the, the, the records but I know that it's coming off an album called Stage 4 which was okay. written which was written about um, the loss of the singer's mother and he did make that point he did say that like I didn't know where to go coming out of this essentially and you know, this was the way to do it. There's a write-up in Stereogum, Stereogum, a website that I love. This is their number eight album of the year. And the writer said, after extensively grieving his mother on 2016 stage four, Touche Mori singer Jeremy Bohm just wants to move on. As Lament makes clear, though, it wasn't that easy. It's not how it was, but it's not getting lighter. He yells on a song called Limelight, the album's soaring lead single. Bolstered by an extensive recording session with legendary new metal producer Ross Robinson, Touche Mori fine-tuned their trademark brand of post-hardcore on Lament and make every note serve a purpose, from the enormous deflector to the tender-hearted I'll Be Your Host. 
Bowen may not yet feel like he's basking in sunshine just yet, but by the sound of lament he's found the next best thing, the promising warmth of a, sunri- of a sunrise and the glimmer of determination that comes with it. Yeah, I mean, it feels mm. like progress. It feels like there's a process going on and it's like facing things head on, right? Yeah. It's confronting things in a positive way. And it's funny because I find as well, the last thing I'll say on this is this, that like with this album, and again, it comes back to like trying to find the perfect 30 seconds to play you there or whatever. The reason I couldn't find that was because actually in a weird fucked up way, when I try and listen to the song individually, it doesn't quite work for me. It's like a house of cards and I need to be living inside the house at the time. And every time I throw this album on, I do actually manage to find that little piece of myself that I left behind somewhere or that was left behind by this fucking year. And I don't know. I mean, like it's, I know this album is like not even the most incredible album ever, but it's fucking mine, man. And like, I don't have that many albums in recent years that did that and this did it. So yeah, number one album of the year, my friends. (laughs) (laughs) That's a special thing, for sure. Number eight. Floating in the <laughs> Why are Sundays so depressing? The strokes have the answer. They're not. Every day is magical. <laughs> um, the album is the new abnormal. Number eight. Um, I thought it might be higher. Yeah, I'm same. not angry. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> I'm okay with it not being higher. And that's not a dig. I just don't know how good it is. I think it's exceptionally good. I think it's their third best album for sure. Um, it does feel to me like it's greater than the sum of the parts maybe and maybe it is that thing of like they're back together like there's chemistry there it feels like they're on the same wavelength and I think the addition of Rick Rubin as well has really helped things like we were talking about um, Ross Robinson on the last record where he's like very hands on and like extreme in certain ways Rick Rubin's probably the exact opposite as a producer, right? Reputationally, yeah. I think he's... Zen, hands-off. Comes and goes. Comes and goes. But whatever he did with the Strokes, I think totally worked for them at the moment. Um, I keep forgetting this was produced by Rick Rubin. I know, right? Mm. Yeah. He was on Questlove's podcast talking about... He was basically asked how he decides who he's going to produce and his process. And of course, he was just like, well, I don't judge music. I just let go with the vibes. Whatever's going to work for me at the time. And... He picked out an example which I thought was kind of controversial considering his history with them. And he was basically saying that the Red Hot Chili Peppers came to him a couple of years ago, pre-John Frusciante coming back. Um, So I guess maybe The Getaway was the album or something like that. And they sent him demos, as bands always do. Just here's what we're working on. Here's sketches of stuff. He always wants finished songs before they go into the studio. And they were like, okay, are we going to work together again? Like we did in all those massive albums. And he's like, I think you should find someone else. I'm not really feeling these songs, guys. (laughs) Imagine being the Red Hot Chili Peppers and like fucking Rick Rubin's like, no, no. 
And then he said, by contrast, The Strokes sent him demos that were the worst demos he'd ever heard. <laughs> they were like, just in terms of fidelity, they were voice notes of like them recording across the fucking room for 30 seconds. Just, he was like dreadful, dreadful stuff. But he could hear the songs were there. And he's like, if you can make these, like, if you can make nine or ten songs out of these, there are nine or ten songs that I would listen to all day long. And I think he helped them make that happen. And yeah, it just hangs together beautifully. Even the ad libs, like Julian talking to Fabrizio, it's Drums, an album please, of moments. <laughs> they, yeah, <laughs> so good. It's like so good. Yeah. The click was always in you. It was never on. <laughs> and I feel like it, Julian's singing kind of, I think, symbolizes why this album works because he's doing the falsetto stuff that he was straining to do so long. He's got it nailed. He goes into his lower strokes growl that he hasn't used in so long. The croon is there. He's accepted all the various elements of what made him successful and his artistic ambitions. And he's made peace with it and ushered the band in and they're on board. And yeah, it's a joyful record for me. It just really helped me throughout the year. Did um, did you have an emotional reaction to it? Or like, I'm wondering like over time, did it like, obviously the excitement of them coming back, the relief of it being a good album and it's coming off you know like them I, I saw them at Picnic there two years ago whatever it was and or last year was it last year and they were astonishing and I was yeah. like oh my god I was like I didn't realise that they cared again so like as a as a long time fan I mean this obviously ha- must have an incredibly personal place for you as well yeah just I think the big difference of them definitely seeming like their heart was back in it they felt like there were, but it, you know, it, a, lot, a lot of the previous records felt like there was always highlights and there was good stuff on it, but it was the Strokes brand name. And yeah. They cobbled mm. bits and bobs it, I together. Guess if, I guess if I could ask, did you think that that would happen again? No, I never thought we'd get a record like this from the Strokes again. Um, and now I'm thinking the next two, three records could be great. So. Wow. I mean, I like it a lot. I do. Yeah. I just, it didn't stay with me. Really? Yeah. When was the last time you... Okay, you obviously well, went back, back to it. This, yeah, for yeah, this. Like, admittedly, like, you know, oh, God, I'd say I went a couple of months, maybe more, without just throwing it on. And in fairness, I mean, I had, like, some of their songs in, like, my ro- rolling long list, like, Out to the Mets, and uh, I loved At The Door, the lead single. I thought it was class. And a lot of people thought it was too voidsy, but I like that when it's yeah. good. Um, yeah, no, I mean, like, to be fair, I almost wish it was in the top five. Because, yeah, I do too. Because I feel like... I like the conversation around it and I would like to have focused more on it. Um, but at the same time, I did find that when I did go back to it, I got really excited at the start. I got a bit bored in the middle and it picked me back up towards the end. And I was like, this is close to being what Craig is hearing, what Zara might be hearing. I like it a fucking lot, but yeah. I don't love it. I want to love it. And I feel like maybe that could happen, but it hasn't happened yet. This excited me in a very similar way to what you um, said there, Craig. Like, I was a huge fan of Is This It, um, particularly the title track to that album. I Like, I think in the, the songs of my life, Is This <laughs> It is 100% up there as a song that really... <sighs> meant so much to me and what I projected onto that song as well as a teenager um, and I do think that like teenagers are such a magical time of listening to music because there's just so much wonderment in you as a listener and 
anything you hear just or not anything you hear because you hear a lot of shite as well when you're a teenager but like I do just remember like the strokes really um igniting something in me and I just thought they were so cool and then just the downfall in the intervening years like in the 2010s was so heartbreaking to listen to and I do also remember listening to the interview that Julian did on No Encore and that was also quite an upsetting listen. Try being the one who fucking did the interview. <laughs> you did an amazing <laughs> job Dave. Weird, it was compelling listening but he was just evening. Yeah. Jesus Christ. But Based on that interview you never would have thought like the strokes are going to come out. You yeah, know I, mean? no. like, I didn't even ask him about the strokes because I was like this guy clearly yeah, doesn't yeah, want to yeah. hear about yeah. it. And again that was an interview if anyone hasn't heard it yet um, it was like 10 minutes if that upstairs Vicar Street after a Voids gig two years ago and he was just tired and I can't believe he agreed to do it it was arranged and the plan was to do it before the gig then it kept getting moved and we were in the bar and I was like this is never happening and it did and then he brought his guitarist in and it was like it was fine but I mostly asked him about politics and stuff because I was just like I just like this isn't the right setting I would desperately love to interview him over like half an hour over a coffee Mm. at three in the afternoon Fair play to him for fucking doing it. And yeah. he wasn't rude or nothing. It just yeah. didn't quite coalesce the way I wanted it to. And I guess you're like, it's Julian Casamangas in person. I'm taking fucking five seconds with the guy if I can get it. And it's also after he's performed, like... Yeah, yeah. he was wrecked. Like, yeah. I was just like, okay, cool. And he, like, he wasn't... Like, he was just kind of... And, and also, it's Julian Casablanca, so he's naturally crazy aloof, you mm. know? That's just who he is. He seems like a shy guy. Like, yeah, right? I think yeah. so. Yeah. But to be fair, I mean, like... I loved that Strokes gig at Picnic and it's rare at a festival gig that you're like that was amazing but yeah. it was it turned back the clock they turned back the fucking clock and they do it here on this and in fairness the clip that we have there which I know that you love that bit in particular mm. it's just am- the swagger is back it's amazing yeah. it's just, yeah, it it's, is amazing. they're back to like not thinking about it anymore. like they're not kind of like it just comes naturally to them where it was just so every album of the last decade was so overthought and like cobbled together and second guessing this is just like what they do naturally. Yeah. Uh, yeah, naturally. Yeah. Um, and I remember listening to this, I had to review this. And initially I was really apprehensive just because like I'd been burnt so much by like, <laughs> I personally had been burnt so badly by Julian. Why can't I quit you, Julian? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I was, I was really pleasantly surprised by it. And I remember when I was listening to it, um, and talking to uh, David Tapley, friend of the show, and he just does not like the Strokes at all. And they're just a band that like, I have such a, a long-standing uh, fondness for and association with such a formative time in my life that I was just like, oh, I actually, I can't, en- I, not that I can't engage like with trying to defend them because they are such a difficult band to defend I think sometimes because of yeah at the start they were so good but then they were pretty shit like for a while um I also think you know some people can also latch on to um some people like Phoebe Bridges for example who can latch on to um, middle class musicians and how she's very afraid of them kind of dying out and she had an issue with trust fund artists which yeah of course like f- fuck the trust fund artists but <laughs> sorry um, but 
you know, she, I, I do think that there was something really pointed towards them in particular about her. Obviously, Out to the Mets is about his dad. His dad, who was a co-founder of Ford Model Management. Who he had a terrible relationship with. Terrible yeah. relationship with. Um, and it's actually really sad yeah, when you is. read the kind of ins and outs of that and why their relationship was so fraught. So then when you do get Out to the Mets, to hear that it, it was it was just to hear that return to anguish and he sounds so like how he did like during Is This It and Room on Fire like he sounds really youthful again which is kind of It, it should be said that yeah like I mean it He was, sounds it, so It was used, evident yeah. in the first single his vocals whether yeah. it's production or whether it's passion or both he does I agree mm. with you he sounds 10-15 years younger Yeah was, They were recently on SNL they did bad decisions and they did the adults are talking and they're insanely good versions. Yeah. They're better than the record versions and his voice and like they're kind of in studio versions they're a bit hit and miss but he's just like phenomenal so I don't know what he's been doing but yeah really mm. strong. Yeah I do wish this was in the top five. Sorry. But it's not. Let's move on. <laughs> Number seven. I used to march down the windy, windy sidewalk Slapping my leg with the riding crop Thinking it made me come off so tough I didn't smile because a smile always seemed rehearsed I wasn't afraid of the bullies And that just made the bullies worse In class I'd pass the time Drawing a slash for every time the second hand went by A group of five done twelve times was a minute But Shamika said I had potential Shamika said I had potential Shamika said I had potential. Hurricane Gloria in excelsis Tony told me he described me as pissed. Hey, it's everyone else's album of the year. It's Fetch the Bolt Cutters by Fiona Apple. And yeah, I'm being a bit, I'm being a bit snarky there. Well, to be fair, I, I don't know. I mean, like again, we talked about it, and I guess I don't know if you're listening to these episodes out of order, listener. But there will be some major spoilers for the songs of the year episode if you haven't heard it yet. So I'm just going to note that, like we talked about Bob Dylan on the last record in Murder Most Fell, or last episode rather, Murder Most Fell. And I was like, it's oh, like I was like, is it? It's, it's not a very sexy choice. And ultimately, this can extend as well to where like. This isn't a fair criticism, but it's just something I have within my own kind of personal whatever. I think when it feels to me like an album of the year has been decided months in advance, and sure enough, it pops up on the top of the Guardian list, and the top of the NPR list, and the top of the AV Club list, and whatever, I'm like, ah, I mean, like, that's kind of disappointing, isn't it? But then that's not a fair thing to put at somebody, least of all, an artist as intriguing and interesting and singular and unique and genuinely compelling as Fiona Apple, someone who I hadn't really dove into a lot of the stuff that she'd done before, um, was drawn in by obviously the Pitchfork 10, the reviews the, the reviews surrounding this record, the interviews that she herself had done. I like this album a lot. I wish I liked it more. I really do take objection with statements like, music has never sounded like this, which is something Pitchfork did say. But again, is that fair on her if I'm reviewing the reviews and not the work? The song is called Shamika. I love it. It has that incredible runaway piano. Um, I don't know, like, in terms of how she managed to make her voice sound the way it does on this, but again, she sounds godlike at times, right? 
Yeah. In terms of talent, she can kind of do anything. Do you know what I mean? So it just com- it boils down to whether you're vibing with what she's... Like, I think, objectively, she's creating something that's utterly masterful. And I think this is like... As a record, I think these sounds have maybe been done before, but I love how it's like... It feels almost like architectural. She was almost playing her house at times and the r- rhythms of it. And I think she's like our generation's Tom Waits, to be quite honest, which is like the highest compliment I can possibly play, pay. But... um yeah, I, I guess a lot of these songs didn't really seep into my heart and really move me a huge amount, but it's kind of in my bones and a mm. lot of these melodies keep like popping up in my head and certainly the conversation this has sparked and the universe of the characters like Shamika and some of her lines are totally in my head, locked in my head for most of the year. I do go back to it more than I thought I would and I remember when we reviewed it, I was like... Okay, it's not it's not the ten that people are saying it is. Well, no it's album just with, no album with Cara Delevingne doing a fucking cat okay. impression <laughs> could ever. But yeah, and yeah. Fairness, but no albums a ten when it comes out. Like I mean, and I kind of said not even like, blonde. Like, yeah, you know, I said like, knowingly, what? flippantly at the time that like this is probably just you know Fiona Apple doing her thing of like making a nine out of ten album, and I kind of stand by that. I think it's a nine out of ten album. Which is huge, um, by the way. A 9 out of 10 should be like... It's a oh, brilliant stop piece of art. Listen yeah. to it. Um, I, I still prefer the previous record, The Idler Wheel. Um, but to be fair, actually, she sat on that record for a long time and she was she was blacklisted for a while. She's had her struggles with the industry. So I'm really glad, actually, she's had this year where she's getting her just rewards, getting her mm. due. Um, she's highly influential. And I think she's really... I hate saying important voice, but I think having her be in the position of being a, an important voice is great because... Well, it's yeah. funny that you... I agree, but it's funny that you say, like, you know, you, you use the word architecture there. Yeah. I was like, yeah, fuck, no, he's nailed it. Because I'm like, these mm-hmm. are really impressive architectural structures. They feel like Escher paintings at times. And ultimately, there's all these Byzantine kind of things that you see in front of you, which are just, like, overawing. But I didn't also have that kind of big emotional connection, which is a shame. But, like... Yeah, respect the hell out of it, yeah. but mm. I was put off by the barrage, and I just feel like, again, I feel like a lot of people just were like, well, that's it. Close the fucking door. Mm. Number one album of the year. She's perfect. It's incredible. It's amazing. And I just wonder, because it's funny, because Zara alluded to it on the last episode, like, not that this is the best barometer ever for anything, but, like, there was a flurry of, like, people on Twitter all of a sudden who'd never... I've never seen them mention the, the words Fiona or Apple. And all of a sudden, they were, like, all these super fans crawled out of the woodwork and got very excited for a few hours and then never talked about it again. Yeah, but I think... what well, I do think that that is kind of, like... I think that that is just a kind of funny byproduct of it. And I think it actually just speaks more of those people than actually does of Fiona Apple. Um, I think that anyone will do anything and say anything for any kind of social clout. Um, I don't think that's a reflection on her and I don't think that that... Well, I do, 100%. 100%, I I thought it was hilarious as well, like the just the wave of people being like... She's the queen. In this this house, we stand a queen. Um, What I think, actually... (laughs) This is probably one of the most pretentious things I'm ever going to say in my life. Yeah, this is the right place <laughs> to do it. <laughs> um, Dave, David, you said that this was like an Escher painting. And while I can kind of see your point of like, you know, it is quite black and white. There's grayscale to this. There is some very like 
straight lines to actually there's no real straight lines to this but there is definitely an upside down there is um a kind of a topsy-turvy if you will a, a, li- <laughs> a line we've used earlier this night to me <laughs> this is where the pretension comes in I find that this album is actually a lot more Jackson Pollock and that like paint is just thrown at the canvas and I think you really get that say with um Shamika or uh I want you to love me um or like other examples throughout the album where just the way the piano explodes and it just you can really feel the splash um on the canvas to go back to the initial pretentious metaphor that I um disgustingly used um, <laughs> I but, think it was fair I said estuary painting like I mean uh, if anything yeah, I opened you up kicked the doors it off, like, yeah. um, but I do think that I I think this album for the first part I think it really erupts there's so much momentum um, and I was really propelled by that I was really drawn to it I thought it was really exciting and invigorating but the more I listened to this and the more that this album progressed the less engaged I became with it like by the time Relay came on and I, I completely understand that those are lyrics that she wrote when she was 15 I that really appropriate that I really don't like that song I appreciate maybe why she included it because I think Shamika also actually is um, a great um, uh, song to kind of contrast that with Shamika obviously was a schoolhood friend of hers She Fiona also talks about you know being a teenager starting up in the music industry and the whole like the the putting on a smile and um you know making like kind of appeasing bullies and whatever but I do think that like when Fiona Apple is at her best with her lyricism, I do think she's unparalleled. Um, I do think that she can really speak a lot of... Um, she does tap into a lot of very uh, relatable uh, motifs and especially as, say, a woman listening to Fiona Apple, I'm now 28, I've experienced teenage years, I've come through my early 20s, um, I know all the kind of... The 30s diff- fast approaching. Yeah, yeah th- well, it's not fast approaching, I'm still a bit away from it. Thank you, Craig. <laughs> um, You'll be surprised, all right. But here I, soon. I, do, I really appreciated, just from, say, like experiences of, especially my early 20s, I really appreciated songs where Fiona Apple was like very diligently and very earnestly and openly singing about her kind of conflicts with other women. Um, I really respected that. And it's something that I actually haven't heard in, in music really before. I'm perhaps just not listening to enough um, but it was just something that I heard that I hadn't heard before and I just thought was really interesting and something that was lyrically quite a new um, uh, spectrum of music that I hadn't really heard before and I was really interested and engaged by that because when you're in your early 20s it's a very difficult time you're very insecure and Fiona Apple I think is in her mid 40s now so it's I just thought it was kind of um, reassuring to hear that 
point of view, which is one that's not really discussed a lot. And it's also, I don't think, really something that not to deli- not to make a difference between male and female songwriters. Like, I think a songwriter is a songwriter, but I think that particular experience within a woman's world is very universal and it's one that I hadn't heard before and I was very appreciative of it and it was one that I really uh one that really resonated with me as well yeah it's a strong statement of ownership yeah. uh, I think all around as an album even the parts that don't sing for me as much as they might for others uh, I guess we got one more before we get to a top five so we go from ownership to pure good old-fashioned individualism number six song is Gospel for a New Century. It's the opening track to Heaven to a Tortured Mind. The artist is Eve Toomer, Y-V-E-S, just in case you have never heard of this artist before and want to run to Spotify immediately because that song fucking rules. Yeah. Uh, Sean Bowie is the real name of Eve Toomer, an American musician, producer of experimental electronic music. Uh, we talked about the previous album, Safe in the Hands of Love, about two years ago. Yeah. And it feels like there's no one out there doing what Eve Toomer is doing. I thought this was going to be not just in our top five. I thought this was going to be our album of the year. Hmm. I it- thought the song was going to be in her songs. <laughs> <laughs> How did I make it in? Yeah, it's yeah. fucking unreal. Um, just incredibly different, evocative, like hard to put into words, but makes you feel something, takes you to different places. Again, like so unique, so compelling. The album, I think, is like really short. It's like 36 minutes yeah. long, but it feels like you're kind of trapped in this musical quicksand, but not necessarily one that is suffocating you, but like, yeah, no, it's it's really, really different and I love it. It just has that pulse, that kind of electricity to it. And it's dangerous as well, right? It's dark as hell mm-hmm. and just kind of really like I don't know, it just feels like kind of like a like 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 a praying mantis or some kind of like trap that's waiting for you somewhere. It feels like what rock and roll must have been like when it was like in the sixties and experimental and genuinely a bit alternative and underground and people were trying new things. And, you know, wasn't quite the mainstream. Because I feel like Eve Tumor's gone from doing quite experimental, like theatrical stuff in like Too Cool for School, like warehouses outside hip cities, uh, to make something like Safe in the Hands of Love, which was like, showed a lot of promise, had great songs on it and was like daring and like an underground classic, maybe. And just keeps inching towards like the spotlight and the mainstream and more orthodox sounds, but it's all the more thrilling for it. Um, because it's kind of using rock tropes and R&B tropes and stuff we've heard before, even bringing in electric guitars and big riffs that you kind of go, oh yeah, this is kind of like a bit old fashioned, but just recontextualizing it in a way that's like the most exciting thing that you could maybe call proper rock music at the moment, I think. 
and also another phenomenal guitar solo as well within yeah, yeah. Um, this was uh, so this is the second album of the two that I hadn't listened to prior to coming to these lists and boy oh boy did I absolutely love this album I thought I mean, you would it, yeah. oh my yeah like uh, listening to it I was just like yeah I think this should actually just be number one to be honest <laughs> oh my god are we doing it you can't say that this just like really again it's this, so good it's so good um, this brought me back again to um Craig you might appreciate this I feel okay um, like maybe 2012 2013 14 um, the Twin Shadow album oh yeah yeah brought me back to that in a big way also like Toro Imoa, um, but also then like a bit of Ariel Pink who I know he has worked with the same producer um, bit of Prince and also dare I say it bit of our boy Frank yeah okay I can hear that I, I heard hear like there was aspects of it where Frank kind of slipped in yeah I always love when Frank slipped in um, but <laughs> <laughs> musically boys musically for God's sake no one said nothing um, I just thought that this was a flawless album it's otherworldly right and I yeah. have a kind of funny anecdote for the two of you which I'll kind of gloss over because we have to get into our top five okay okay yeah so, um, should this be in the top five? <laughs> like, oh, this should be number one, I think. Are we calling an audible? What's, I mean, like, like in what? the top five? No, we're not. <laughs> no, guys. I guess we'll see That's how the top five. That's not democracy. Yeah, it kind of is democracy. Uh, it's kind of like the electoral college form of democracy. Oh, right? where we go renegade. What's your anecdote? So basically, uh, last night I was doing my listening for this, and um, I was chatting to Tapley aforementioned and I was like here I'll chat to you but can we listen to the Sufjan Stevens album and he was like oh I really don't want to I really don't like Sufjan Stevens and then I was like okay so we got through a few of that album and I actually just had to turn it off because it was getting a bit contentious and I I was like here look I'll stick on this album I think you'll really like it stuck on the Eve Tumor album and it was just like I've never seen someone get so giddy in my life wow yeah um, the effect was so immediate that he went to the, our music WhatsApp group and was like, guys, check this out. And I was a bit annoyed because I was like, mate, I showed you this album. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I love this. I cannot wait to delve more into this So guy. the next Tana Felix album is going to sound very different then is what we're <laughs> anticipating. Yeah, I think so. A lot of psych so. rock. Okay, yeah. well, look, listen, I mean, like, I'm I'm leaving it open, but let's jump into this look, top, let's let's our top, top five. Let's have our top five. Let's do our top five. It's top five time. We're going to go... We made it. <laughs> Looks like we made it. We're going to go alphabetical once again. And so first up in No Encore's top five albums of 2020 debate is... The top five. Well, I'm the enemy of treason. An enemy of strife. I'm the enemy of the unlived meaningless life. I ain't no false prophet. I just know what I know. I go where only the lowly can go. I'm first among equals, second to none. The last of the best You can bury the rest 
That's Bob Dylan. The song is False Prophet. The album is Rough and Rowdy Ways. Next up in our top five. song is the incredibly captivating So Heavy I Fell Through the Earth. It's by Grimes. The record is Miss Anthropocene. Number three in our top five. I'm trying but still I close my eyes mm-hmm. The dreaming bringing this face to my That's Perfume Genius. Set My Heart on Fire immediately is the album. The song was on the floor. Let's have the next one in our top five. the jewels the album's RTJ4 the song is Yankee and the Brave and it's getting fucking tough now already I can tell but we've got one more in this top five let's hear it Sophie and Stevens, the album is The Ascension. That is our top five. Bob Dylan, Grimes, Perfume Genius, Run the Jewels, Sophie and Stevens. I think it's an incredibly interesting top five. Let's go in reverse order, I think. Okay. So we'll start with Sophie and Stevens. Uh, I'm just going to pose a few questions, I think, with all of these, you know? <laughs> really slip into my host Captain role now. Journalist. Yeah, now that we're like, you know, I presume <laughs> like an, an hour and a half into I a mean, show Captain that will undoubtedly almost here. go three hours. Let's fucking do it. Uh, Sophie and Stevens, The Ascension. I wasn't here for the review of this. Craig did it with Royal Yellow. Royal Yellow, big fan. I think he was a bit let down by the album. I did actually listen to all 80 minutes of that record on a week when I didn't have to, and it drew me in immediately, which surprised me. My question, is this album a secret masterpiece? No. Yes. <laughs> I don't think it's a secret. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, Mark O'Brien found it quite foreboding, as did I, and I think it is something you need to grapple with as a record. And I think it has let down some fans of Sophie and Stevens just because it moves away from some things that really worked for him previously. It's um, not pithy by any means, um, and it's him venturing into new territory whilst also changing things up lyrically. But actually, I found it really compelling. It feels like climbing a mountain or you know embarking on some voyage with him and for the first few listens it felt like okay this is something I'll have to slog through to really reap the rewards of but I listen to it quite a lot now and the whole thing is a joy I must say I think it's really really compelling I have found so Craig I loved that episode Um, I found myself blush quite a lot when you were talking about your sexy songs Um, (laughs) And also giggle quite a lot. Um, but, and I found actually the review was really interesting because I'm a bit of a fair weather Sufjan fan. I really like Carrie and Lowell. Lowell. Um, I obviously really love um, the Come On Field at Illinois. Um, this is a kind of a weird statement to make because this album sounds so different to those two albums that I have mentioned. But I do kind of feel that, like, he is a bit of a one-trick pony in a weird way. Okay. Perhaps. Well, I mean, if I may just interject here, I mean, like, I've gathered a few quotes. He spoke to The Atlantic about this record. Uh, He said, I have changed. I've grown old and world-weary. I'm exhausted. I'm disenchanted. I'm a curmudgeon. But he insists that his point of view hasn't radically shifted. There's a lot of criticism about the early records, uh, or on them, rather, I guess written from his point of view. It's all just hidden behind a facade of joyfulness, but I'm inherently a pessimist. For the first time ever on The Ascension, I'm being honest about what I feel about the world. Craig alluded to it earlier on. uh, I think talking to the choir, Sufjan Stevens said that I decided to embrace catchphrases and cliches and figures of speech instead of being benign platitudes I felt they could speak for deeper wisdoms and act as beacons to help me work through all those issues there's been a lot lots of trust in institutions and governments and society and corporations all that is being called into question I felt like I couldn't really speak for all those issues objectively or abstractly or on a macro level so I decided to start writing in declarative statements keeping it really simple he notes that even all the song titles on the album are a cliche but ultimately, this managed to get him to a place of kind of, I suppose, personal. Um, I don't know if I don't know if it's affirmation, but he seemed to like kind of unlock something new. And like you say, you're a Fairweather Sophian fan. I would say I'm flat out not a fan. Not that I'm not a fan, but I don't know him that well. I've dipped in and out here and there. The prospect of a Sophian Stevens album to me fills me with some kind of dread. I love this album. I think I, it's incredible. I, I I like it, and there are like that when that song is playing, I. Kind of was uh, reminded of just how impactful it is. There, like, there's such a claustrophobia to this record as well. Um, kind of honing back on the quotes that you um brought upon there from his recent interviews, where he's like, I was speaking in um platitudes, platitudes, like. and now he wants affirmations, or he's a bit more kind of um solid in some of his uh, worldviews and I think that as someone who I really like Carrie and, and um, Lowell and one song on that album every time I listen to it that always sticks out to me is um, We're All Gonna Die 
when he just keeps repeating that line, we're all going to die, we're all going to die. And on this album, he is singing, I want to die happy. And I do think that that kind of speaks to that maybe like transition of there's that like very primary realisation or foundation realisation and now it's going to another level of it. But I do still think that this is just... (laughs) This also might sound kind of bad, but it's just someone who kind of fetishizes death a bit and fetishizes morbidity and moroseness. And I, again, this is a kind of callback to say like the Phoebe Bridgers thing. And it's a callback again to the, the artist just absolutely taking the listener's hand and directing them through the maze and showing them all the twists and turns and I what I really I really liked a lot of the arrangements to this I actually preferred the arrangements to this than Sufjan's presence to it I think if this had just been an instrumental electronic album I actually would have enjoyed a lot more I think that there's I think there's a great um kind of build and suspense like you were saying with like walking up the mountain and then getting the relief that's a really great way of kind of describing it because it is a bit of a like okay you go for a bit of a flat terrain and it's really nice and you catch your breath and then it's like really intense and it's really uphill and you're like oh my god I'm about to in classic Sophie and stuff I'm about to die um and then I yeah I don't know I liked it I would have liked to have swapped this out with Eve two more I strongly disagree. <laughs> I I really don't think he fetishizes death insofar as I feel like all his work is very much about how death impacts life. Like he's he's very he's obsessed with life to me and I think what he's doing on this and his like hopelessness is really more about his country and his fate, which has kind of kept him going. And he's just like, okay. He I, he felt he, it feels like he feels guilty about like romanticizing you know the U.S. states over the years or kind of that kind of mythology of America or the fact he's very like prominent as really kind of critically respected kind of Christian artist which you don't get mm. a lot of um, but on this he's just like okay what's God really doing for us America's clearly gone to shit and songs like the title track and America they're just these monuments to his own self-doubt that he's working through and I think he comes to really kind of great conclusions it felt obsessed with life to me really like even something like Die Happy felt like um, him setting up camp and you doing a few like meditation exercises where you just focus on like I don't know something a bit beyond yourself before you go on to the next stage of like this hard living thing Um, but even even when he's dealing in like he's kind of stripping his lyricism back and you know speaking in shorter phrases I think they're all packed with like so much meaning he's just so deft with his with his stuff where he's like you know on the opening track he's talking about like you know move I think he's addressing God and he says something like move like the waters I cannot drink which is just like so powerful of like accepting this force beyond you but also knowing that it's not doing anything for you and that Mm. you'll never really come to grips with it Um, I have a question for you Craig this is probably just me just plucking this out of my um, air. Um, <laughs> do you think that he's a bit of a Paul Simon? A genius, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> One of America's greatest songwriters. No, but do you think that he kind of writes songs in a kind of Paul Simon vein? 
just in how the, I know what you mean about yeah. plugging into the culture and the stories of the America. State. Yeah, and yeah. Stuff. He's obsessed with that idea of it's that old Bono quote of like America's not a country; it's an idea. <laughs> which obsessed is obsessed with that quote. Oh, no, you're more obsessed with Bono. It's so Bono, but it's kind of true. Do you yeah. know what I mean? But um. Yeah, I kind of agree. He might mm. be a modern Paul Simon, which is a great thing. Okay, look, so. I'm going to move us on. Uh, Run the Jewels, RTJ4, Zara Hedeman. Album yeah. of the year or album of this year? Oh. Album of this year. As in, like, it's so tied to the time it arrived. It arrived prominently. They released it a day early mm. as Black Lives Matter protests were sweeping the world in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. And it felt like the clarion call, right? It felt like... Yeah. Uh, not quite a salve because it's so tectonic and so like uh, I guess forceful in its approach as as every Run the Jewels album has been to varying degrees and you know even just hearing from Killer Mike in this fashion especially I think during that time was I think we needed to fucking hear it Mm. Um, and it felt almost like it feels fucked up to say this and I don't mean to demean anything but it felt like a reward like it felt like oh here's Run the Jewels like Mm. they're here and they're gonna like distract us maybe but also raises up at the same time does that make it a great album is it is it that connected to the societal context or am I just kind of barking up the wrong critical pretension tree I think um, I think it definitely to kind of go back to your question it is an album of this year I think it really in terms of hip hop it really shone so much brighter than a lot of what else came out Um, one thing that really um struck with me was uh, re-listening to old episodes of No Encore as I did for my homework uh, coming on to this <laughs> show uh, today was, you know, listening to the album review of this. And I do remember um, when I gave giving this album my first listen and just hearing certain lyrics um, delivered by Killer Mike and, you know, obviously there is the moment in one of the songs where he says, I can't breathe. And obviously that was very much tied into the Black Lives Matter protests here that were um, ignited after George Floyd's murder. Um, It did seem like such a moment and it did just seem so um, breathtaking. Um, But when I listened to your review of it, and I I can't remember if it was, I think it might have been Craig, um, you were saying how like this was an album that was actually in the works for quite a while and the association with that phrase actually came beforehand and it's actually just a very sad tale of America and the injustice um, at the hands of power in America and it's just a cyclical tale. I think that Run the Jewels just happened to release their um their final realised story at a very heightened time during a year that was I guess universally outside of America as well. Like Ireland has had its own um kind of moments of political unrest and people wanted to speak out and feeling proactive in that. England, I mean, we know what's going on with England. Um, as Craig knows, you know, the Brexit forecaster. Um, <laughs> still not, still not happening. Still hasn't happened. Yeah. Yeah. But I do, I do think, you know, it kind of in a similar, weirdly similar way of like the Bob Dylan, the murder most fell, you kind of see how history re- repeats itself. And I think that the Run the Jewels album was just a bit of a stark reminder of it. 
Yeah, very timely. And mm. I guess, yeah, it's easy to be prophetic when you're talking about like injustice in America. Mm. Um, purely in musical terms and like for the group, I think it brought them back from the brink of just not being relevant anymore. Musically, yeah. like they seem exa- seemed exhausted on the last record. And this is right up there with their best early work for me. Um, I think the productions are quite strong. They're just like... It sounds lush. They're just added from the opening bars. It's very, very strong. I don't think this is the best hip-hop album of the year. I, I don't think it's been the best year for hip-hop. No. I'd probably go for Alfredo, Freddie Gibbs and The Alchemist. So it's weird for me. Like, I don't know if I could then say this is the best overall album of the year. Um, Who's the more compelling voice for you out of the two? Killer Mike. Yeah, like, Killer Mike. For sure. It's no question? No, no question. question Interesting. I've um, always just kind just, of... Uh, no, I, I don't disagree, but I... I've uh, always mixed up. Like, obviously, I know who... Uh, LP. LP, and I obviously know who Tim Heidecker is, but I always <laughs> just think LP... I always just imagine Tim Heidecker in character. Well, his skills, I guess, are predom- LP, uh, are predominantly behind the desk. But yeah. yeah, no, it's just interesting to see like if there was a definitive... like. And I do... I love that buddy thing they have going yeah. on, which is like the Yankee and Brave works really well as that, and it's kind of like topped and tailed with... You fall back in love with them as like... I love that story of they were both respected, you know, on the scene, but actually when they came together... They just really blew up. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's there's something about Run the Jewels as well, though, where I'm like, is it just like white hipsters that listen to them? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Do they have huge impact in like the hip hop community in the States? I'm not sure if they do. Question for another day. Perfume yeah. Genius <laughs> set my heart on fire immediately. Another record on this list. Um, Mike Adreas, Keeper of Our Broken Dreams. Uh, undeniably dense. Quicksand to plenty on this record. But is it too much at times? I mean, like to put it another way, Craig. Is this more mesmerising than outright enjoyable to listen to? No, I find it very enjoyable to be to be honest. Um, I think it gets quite languid in the second half maybe, but for the opening seven or eight songs, I was just stunned with how, how talented he is, to be honest. But I'm stunned every album for, for sure. We're talking about Destroyer earlier on and just like that discography. But Perfume Genius for the last decade has been... Phenomenal. There's a lot of yeah. classics there. I, I, I interviewed him um, 10 years ago now for... Gee. Yeah, yeah for the Learning album, which was like his debut. And he was just getting into music to deal with... Like he'd had substance problems mm. and just didn't have the greatest of starts in life. And music was like his salvation. And he was recording quite lo-fi stuff because he was saying, that's all I can do at the moment. And actually the mistakes are grand, blah, blah, blah. It was clear his talent was like bursting beyond all the lo-fi stuff and he'd figure it out. And he's just like seized every opportunity to better himself and expand his musical horizons. Mm. And he's like such a shapes shifter. He's a pop star he's an incredible songwriter um this knocked me for six i think like i do think there's the, maybe the I, I love the closer but there's two or three songs in the back half where um they're slower paced and they're a bit more subtle but i think there's some absolute gems in this mm. and i'm it, it's this stunned me more than a lot of the albums on this list it's funny mm. you mentioned like you know his titanic talent which I think is undeniable but there's a quote I have from from the New Yorker he was asked do you have a karaoke song and he said I'm really bad at karaoke but toxicity by system of a down I think is the most successful I've ever been I tried to do the Macklemore song about gay marriage once I don't know if I executed it but the concept was good uh, the follow up question that I found very interesting uh, the journalist says you talked about 
Um, you talked before about being shown as a teenager a very fixed idea of who you were, an idea that for a while prevented you from seeing how you changed and how the world was changing. You've also said that your music is becoming less about the past and more about the present. Is that old, old idea of yourself still hanging around? How continuous do you feel now with who you were at 13 or 21? And in response, he says, I think I feel all those phases less now than I used to, and consciously so. I think I felt for a long time like I had to keep them all heavy on my mind to try to warm them up and soften them and make them feel better, and I don't really need to feel like I need to do that anymore. But it's still a new and strange idea for me, trying to let my present self be the thing that I warm and soften, the thing that feels good. I feel, or at least I felt before all of this started, like I'm in the middle of one of the shifts that will come in my life, where I suddenly just feel like a different person. I started making music because of one of those shifts, which became, which came with the process of getting sober and just being like, oh, I'm an asshole. Really accepting that idea, really coming to terms with the fact that I couldn't just make it go away. And that's kind of the thing about this is that like, to borrow a Craigism, but use it in a positive sense. <laughs> Boy. This, <laughs> this is an album that insists upon itself. I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> But it has to, right? That's the point of it, mm. I think. Yeah. I, I was about to, well, when you were talking, Craig, about like even interviewing him during learning, um, when I was going through uh, Set My Heart on Fire immediately, obviously I was going back through uh, the catalogue. And just like to listen to the development of his trajectory is so fascinating, where he went from this really minimal, but so intricately um, layered artist that's really kind of I felt akin to like a Daniel Johnston to then like naturally and very steadily in his own time progress and then to work with Adrian Utley of Portishead and I really think that his collaboration with Blake Mills is just such a a superb meeting of minds I think the two of them bounce off each other so well together and obviously Mike Adris's um, partner his name escapes me at the moment, but he is a member of his band as well. And I think that their musical collaboration as well, they're just so finely in tune with each other that everything just kind of really comes out and is released so naturally. Um, I just I just find the diversity on this album sublime to like the opener. I think the opener is such a devastating way to introduce you to this world. It's so kind of like Roy Orbison, so sweet 60s. Yeah. To then go into Describe, which is just like the complete opposite. Um, to then having the weird soundscapes where it's like the incoherent, like he's not even saying words, but you're still just like, yeah, I don't understand what you mean. Like, um, I, I, I really just think that this is the album that really um, characterised this year for me where at the start, say January, it was a bit all right, like it was a bit joyous. Everything else just kind of went a bit like (laughs) incoherent, but you were still (laughs) trying to understand it. And I just felt that like on the floor, it's such a bop. It's so, again, to say it, it's so irresistible and yeah, I love you talk it. about I love setting it. the tone for a record. We heard so heavy I felt through the earth by Grimes from Miss Anthropocene. Uh, has the gloss vanished from Grimes a bit? Because she was like the hipster darling. She was like the the fucking future queen. She was going to do everything. And if it has vanished, only on social media, but and only because of the story around her. So, yeah. so yeah. it is personal life. 
Yeah, I think yeah. totally. Is... I think she was held up as, you know, a lot of people's hero and then she starts dating Elon Musk. Is that and fair? And she says a few things in interviews. I don't think so. No. And it doesn't have a lot to do with the music. Yeah. Um, I think Misanthropocene is her best album. I think it's a perfect blend of the two records that came before. I think the narrative throughout it is superb and mm-hmm. she executes it brilliantly. And she does things and... Plays with kind of soundscapes or <laughs> different kind of sonic ideas uh, in a way that I can't think of too many other artists that would even try to take on. Songs like Adoru, which is just like... That's an amazing song. Yeah, it's like an alarm's going off in a car and somehow it's one of the most beautiful things you've heard all year. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's um, just like idyllic. Speaking on the whole personal life thing, I don't want to harp too much on it, but I feel like it did become a conversation. And she spoke in conversation with Resident Advisors Exchange podcast back in May. She said, I don't know if it is a gendered thing or if the press are primed to go for controversy, but I feel like I'm constantly fighting a battle against a few weird narratives. It is probably more exciting to folks in the dramas of my personal life for them, I guess. It's like annoying because I don't really seek that stuff out that happens to me. I'm trying to be an artist out here, but that's what I'm trying to pursue. An audience that is more into deep listening, that kind of thing. Later, she said, I know I bring this up a lot, but I'm constantly referred to as a singer. Like, oh, the singer Grimes. And that really rubs me the wrong way because I feel like singing is sort of my least developed skill of everything that I do. It's sort of like I don't really identify as a singer. No matter what you do, it's kind of like what the headlines say. So I guess she's saying I'm a producer first and and an artist before I'm a singer. And it's funny because she has a very, very distinctive way of vocalising her music. It is uh, indelibly her, you know, And, and she's all over this record on vocals. Everything from, you know, the track we played earlier on, which I think is just... Unbelievable. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's like falling into fucking like like a painting of a world that you've never seen before. And then she has like stuff like violence, which is straight up bop. I I think to leave forever is great. I know people don't like it, but I think it's amazing. Brilliant song. Yeah, I uh, is stunning. Like it's just like this unbelievable way to, to end a record. I've loved this album for fucking twelve months or whatever. I, th- I I think it is brilliant. I think it's been left behind for whatever reason, and I think that reason is personal. I think people have turned their backs on Grimes mm. because of annoying things she does on Twitter or whatever, and definitely who she's dating and naming her kid what she did and obviously like you know in fairness you know I think she has been guilty of like defending arch capitalism which is not what we thought we would get from Grimes and whatever but also again art from artists etc I think it's a fabulous album I think she's I think she's an incredibly interesting artist and I think this album and her on that front deserve more respect Yeah I remember listening to this album I was in work and just as soon as the uh, proverbial needle dropped as I hit play on the computer um, I was just completely blown away by this um, uh, that opening track is one that I just constantly return to and I actually struggle sometimes to get through the whole album because I just keep repeating um, that first song I just think it's such an epic song um, what you're kind of what you were touching on there about you know what she was saying about people focusing on like certain kind of aspects of her career and her life yeah it's 100% sexist it's completely misogynistic and it's really ironic that like they're trying to be like she's a singer but they're also silencing her in a weird way and they're silencing just the complete scope of her talent the breadth of her talent she is an incredible producer um I have always kind of just been really, um, I think, both bewildered and also enthralled by what she's capable of. And I think that's a really, like, you really get that with this album too. Um, There are some kind of moments on this album though where I did dip out a little bit. 
Um, it does feel maybe a bit longer than what it maybe is. But I do think I can that, feel that, yeah, I can do. Yeah, but I do think if you're just in the right mindset yeah. to listen to it, like there were some days where I listened to it walking into work and I was really tired and I was like, uh um but also going back to my homework for this tonight, um <clears throat> I do remember um and it is something that I had kind of always thought about with uh, Grimes is how she is kind of very much like a cocktail twins, but a very cyber cocktail twins <laughs> and a very sometimes incoherent where she's just like ad libbing loads of gibberish where it's just like I've no idea what you're saying, but I'm on board, like and I'm gonna sing along with you. The last album here, Bob Dylan, Rough and Rowdy Ways. <clears throat> Bob of course coming off an incredible no encore triumph from this episode. Um, Zara, what did we learn about Bob Dylan on this album? I think he's an absolute legend, even more so. I um, need a bit more. <laughs> um, I guess what we learned is I think it's a kind of continuation. I felt, anyway, I really felt that Rough and Ready Ways was a very natural through line from uh, Time Out of Mind, um, his 1997 album with Daniel Lamois. Um, I think that this is a man who has very much lived, he's lived a life, um, if you could say that. Um, I think this is a man who is once again, I hate to say it, he is in his late 70s. He's kind of like... As it says on Time in a Mind, he's he's just waiting to get into heaven, Um, and I think that that not to not to uh, belittle kind of the impact or the strength of this album, but I think that that kind of gravitas is very much a huge presence of this. This is a man who is full of full of humor. He's full of. Is he in character or is he a character? Full stop. He's always been a character. He's always been a character. I don't think you'll ever really know who Bob Dylan is. Um, he's not even Bob Dylan. He's yeah. Robert Zimmerman. Yeah, like exactly. That. Yeah, exactly. Um, like this is a man who makes whose hobby is making iron gates. Like, do you know what I mean? Um, I think he is a really, even though he's not someone who's very upfront with who he is, I think he's someone that is a very good uh, guide for like say people of our generation to kind of navigate certain things um, and I think this is probably one of his most beautiful albums well, I wanted, like I Key West to, in particular I want oh, to yeah. ask I mean like, like it yeah. feels like this was hailed as an instant classic we talk on the show a lot about people meeting uh, increasingly meeting the personality before the art itself that factor arguably emerging as a flawed form of music journalism same time perhaps some personalities are simply too big to not place front and centre when new work is ushered in Craig, is that the case here? Or is this album legitimately up there with the very best of his career output? I think it's up there with the best of his output in the last maybe 30 years. Um, I think his run in the 60s and early 70s is pretty tough to beat. But I think what this album did was like disarm people because he's he kind of met the listener halfway, which is rare for him. Like he's very generous on this. He feels like personal and closer and the guard is down a lot more than he has been on other albums. Um so I think there is this kind of thing of like a god coming down and suddenly going, here, I'm going to tell you a few stories about my life, um, which is, you know, nothing to be sneezed at. Musically, um, his band are great. It was mainly his touring band. I think there's a number of tracks where he's leaning into 
stuff that he loved and like he's always been someone that will pick up different styles and kind of I guess steal from people <laughs> as was like what everyone did back then but like I think there's a lot of songs on this where if you're not into those kind of genres and some of the honky tonk stuff you, they, you mightn't totally vibe with them but they feel like prototype versions of them um, so that might just kind of put some people off but certainly the likes of Key West Mermos Fell Key West is it's, breathtaking as well I, yeah. I remember walking when he slows shop. down for the ballads <sighs> yeah. they're just haunting magical and beyond the capabilities of a lot of you know artists in general so I don't think it's just the name the talent is still there yeah. well if I not not to intrude upon this idyllic moment but like <laughs> for me this is five <laughs> I think this album's five. I, no. I think I think it's really fucking good. I really enjoy my time with it, but I just feel like it's. I think Sofian's five. Sofian is not five. This is weaker than the Sofian album, I think. So yeah, um, I, album I would like, have probably RTJ five. I thought I, yeah. don't think, I think I, that's an eight out of ten. Like, I would be happy with RTJ at four, five. Sorry, and Bob Dylan at four. No. <laughs> well, I mean, like, it's look, I know we have to go home, but no, no, but I, mean, like, but I feel like it's like it's clear to me that like in in the bracketing here, like I think Run the Jewels and Bob Dylan are like out of the five. I think they are four and five, whatever order. You no, put I think in. the ascension is more musically and like. Sorry, I think you said it yourself in terms of if it was instrumentals. I think it's more accomplished than. Like a lot of the Dylan songs are run throughs of genre like, stuff we've heard previously, and he then adds the magic, right? Like musically, is it? But I think also his words are far more intelligent and better than what Sofiane is saying. <laughs> like I think I, I really think Sof, I really think there is a big shtick with Sofiane. I don't see the shtick. Really. Neither do I, and I don't, and I'm not like drawn to him. But this album, I think, is genuinely brilliant. Like, I, I, I think the instru- I think the arrange, I think the instrumentation on the Sufjan album is great. I think his presence. I don't is, think it would work without him. I really don't. I think. I, I think would it, rather. It I, I think him. it would be kind of boring without him there. I think. Grand. It would be, I think it'd be all right. I think it'd be genuinely like dull. What, what if we could switch? So Dylan's over <laughs> his stuff, and then Sofian's doing the like. Yeah, I would. Okay, this this is what I would present to the room. Right. Um, runs Geo's five. Okay. Grimes four. Keep going. Sofian three, Bob two, Not Perfume sure. Genius one. No the Grimes way. album's much better than the Bob Dylan album. Fuck off, Craig. <laughs> it is much better. I'm telling Fuck you. Fuck off. Like, I'm sorry, Grimes but no. Grimes album is not better than the Bob Dylan album. It is. I think it is Shut overall as a piece of work. I think it is. Shove you. <laughs> I'm sorry, but like, like this is like, like it's no offense here. It's now a night. Yeah. 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 Also, no offense here. Like, you're pushing personal preference here. Yeah. Yeah, which is like, like... But also, I think I just... I, I'm not having Bob Dylan fucking dominate both top fives. I'm just not having it. Like, it's this album is not that good. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's one. a good album. I like it a lot, but it's four or five. So he's not doing an FKA Twigs not of last year. <laughs> no, especially because, like, like, I think the other albums are Streets Ahead. I think, I think first of all, I think we know what a, the A point I would here, make about like, the Bob let's... Dylan record is 17 minutes of it and one half of the vinyl is our song which is already being awarded or song of the year right? and that feels like an island to me as well it doesn't feel part of the album it feels like a separate project Even it's even presented as a separate project which I don't think like I, I don't think it hurts the album yeah. but it certainly segments it in a weird way it's off kilter 
So like, I'm happy to put Run the Jewels 5, because I like the album a lot, but I don't think it's their best work. But Bob's 4, if that's the case. I would agree with that, I think. And I I love all these albums, like, I really do. Fine. I mean, <laughs> it's like, this is no, like... Fine. We haven't even got to the hard bit yet. Yeah, I know. No, okay, okay. Right. I'll take one for the team. Congratulations. Three is the Ascension. I think three yeah. is the Ascension. I think two is Grimes. I think Perfect Genius is the album of the year. Absolutely. No, hold on. Yeah, Perfect Genius is definitely album of the year. So it's Perfect Genius. What do you think, Greg? Do you think Grimes is the album of the year? No. Do you think Sophie's the album of the year? Even though you're putting no, it at three. No, no, I don't. I, I, think, I think it's Perfume Genius or Grimes. And I think... Okay, so I was just, more, to, just to clarify. I was more in awe of what Perfume Genius did than Grimes. Right. Because yeah. she was kind of a known quantity. And I take your point that there's stretches of it where it has to work for you at points. Every time I put on the Perfume Genius record, I'm like, this is a phenomenal achievement. <laughs> I mean, listen, I mean, I, I like there is, I think both those albums, I think all these albums in a way have moments of, if you're not paying attention, you could get lost, mm. uh, particularly mm. with the top three. And it's like, which you know, is, it's strange. I mean, like, like like the Grimes album, I think I get a more of an instant hit. I get it. I do get more of a rush from it. The Perfume Genius one, I had to make time for when I was first listening to it, when it came out. I was like, I kept getting distracted by other things, whether it was just like WhatsApp or work at the time or whatever. And it wasn't until I finally was able to kind of switch everything else off and, and tune into what he was doing that like it did knock me out. It's not like it's 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 not an album to throw in the background. It's not an album to. Whereas I think the Grimes one, like you know, I I said before, like I think it, it segments quite well. I think you can individually take pieces off of it, and they all stand up quite strongly. I kind of feel like the Perfect Genius one, even though yeah, describe and on the floor are Belters. It's such a mood piece. It's such a it's such an A to B. It's such a complete work that I guess you know, like I mean personally, like Hart says Grimes, but my critic brain is like, well, it's got to be Perfect Genius, right? Like, he did something incredible here. There's absolutely no way in my mind that I would say that Grimes put out the best album of this year. What what kind of album do you think she did put out though? Second best. <laughs> like, like, if I may, if I, if I may, just like just out of curiosity. I think she put out a very singular album mm-hmm. in that within her kind of ilk of music, I think she did something that there isn't really anything that sounds very much like it but at the same time I think it is to coin um, was it a Craig line where it's very one note sometimes sometimes I think sometimes she does bring in that like the listener can get very lost in it and then she'll inject something that's like like a delete forever where it's like oh this is a complete like change of pace or like I don't know, something else comes along later on and you're like, oh, this has kind of sparked my interest again. Whereas I think the Perfume Genius album, it just constantly has you like, what's coming next? Sufjan to, I think, a certain degree has a similar kind of note of like, sometimes I was like, oh yeah, this song is coming up or oh yeah, this bit's coming up. But for the most of it, I was just like, Kind of going through the motions with it, if I may, and go on, hon. Just I, I guess allow me to to finish this run before we talk about it. So I think I think I have the run. Okay, so the run is as follows: six Bob Dylan, 
No! Five. <laughs> run, no, sorry, six from the jewels, five Bob Dylan, four Sophie Stevens, three Grimes, two Perfume Genius, and our winner, Eve Toomer. <laughs> but no, for reals, I think five run the jewels, four Bob Dylan, three Sophie and Stevens, two Grimes, one Perfume Genius. And I think Perfume Genius yeah. is like, we've talked before, like with our, with our number ones, et cetera. Like I think, I think Twigs last year is a great example of this, where it's like, I'm, I'm like fucking jazzed to say Perfume Genius is mm. no encore yeah. album of the year. It makes sense to me. Yeah. I don't think we refute it, but like, but like it's weird. But like, did you not? Did we? I don't. I can't. Remember. No, no, there was you didn't. Something huge out that week. Can't remember, but it was probably like. But because I remember us like talking about it like a week or so later, just being like, "Oh, we didn't get can't that. do it all." Yeah. yeah, there probably was a clash, and maybe we made the wrong call. But ultimately, it did find its way into into our hearts, and I feel <laughs> like. But I feel like like I'm very much like yeah, I championed the fuck out of that. I championed the fuck out of No Encore Album 2020, Perfect Genius. Not that I wouldn't with Grimes, but I feel like it's just got the edge. Yeah. And I, I think that yeah. I like the symmetry of nearly exactly 10 years on from his debut, which was so lo-fi, but like yeah. had tremendous potential. And this is just like, how many times do we think of artists that don't quite fulfill that? This is him like having like the means and the collaborators to do something spectacular. And he's really just doing it in every different genre he can. It's just mm. a tremendous display of like his talent. Yeah. So yeah, it's in that respect, a decade into his career, it's a bit of a masterpiece. So I would be Proud to call it our number one. Zara? Oh, like, I would not go to sleep tonight unless... (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. No, like, I would not sleep at all if this album was not the album of the year. Ladies and gentlemen, set (laughs) on fire immediately by Perfume Genius is the No Encore album of 2020. Congratulations. (laughs) It's one in the morning. Taxis for all. Holy shit. Oh my. Uh, yeah, listen, you know, it's 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 emotional every year. It's yeah. tough. A good compromise leaves well, what's that phrase? Everyone, whatever. But this isn't this isn't just a good compromise. This is the this is the album of the year. Yeah. I feel very and also like if anything, like it gives me like a lot more purpose to be like, yeah, I really fucking overlooked that for too long. I'm going to spend so much more time with it. It is, it makes perfect sense. And I feel like to be fair, I feel like you know, last episode I think you were like it's Bob Dylan, right? Like straight away. Mm. With this, like when we were talking about Perfume Genius and even just kind of like, even like when on the floor played, I was like, this is going to be, Oh, this without is a doubt, right? like, like Perfume Genius is going to be the winner. Well, <laughs> imagine, imagine he wasn't. Imagine oh, I'd be <laughs> kicking and roaring. Seven hour like, episode. Yeah. Oh. I thank you once again, Adam Shanahan, for your incredible patience you, and putting Adam. up with us. We love you. A saint. A man who is like, probably just like, Good God, lads, stop. <laughs> but, but I'm you know. I'm loving this. <laughs> uh, Zara Hedeman, thank you so much for coming thank in this you. year. Woo! Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, thank Sarah. You so made tonight. We love you. Craig, I love you too. I love you too, Dave. Thank Thanks, you for man. everything this year. It's been a tremendous voyage with ah, you. Ah, come on. You know, like, you know, it's, it's all, it's a team effort, you know. Uh, and thank you, listener. Part of the team as well, of course. We love you to bits. Thank you for giving us your ears this year. Like I say, there's one more episode left to come after this, if you can believe that. It's uh, part two of our Q&A on patreon.com slash noencore. should be arriving on Christmas Day. Beyond that, um, there'll probably be a no popcorn in the new year, some kind of 2020 look back. But as of now, we're planning on coming back on the 14th of January. We'll see what that looks like. If that changes, we will let you know via the medium of Twitter. You can always get in touch with us at noencoreshow at gmail.com. 2020 has been a fucked up year. I think music has been a huge highlight of it. I think it's saved our lives a lot of times. And seriously, thank you so much for listening to the show. We've had people reach out. I know it means a lot to people. You mean a lot to us. Thanks, and uh, I hope this was a very enjoyable 
powwow between all of us. <laughs> Are you going to end the show with my name is Dave Hanratty and there will be no compromise? <laughs> Um, I feel like we don't need to do that. <laughs> no, it's just you were saying no compromise earlier. My like, name oh. is David William Hanready. Oh. This has been No Compromise. <laughs> there will be <laughs> no <Many> compromise. <laughs> but life's all about, baby. Back next year, aka two or three or four weeks from now. Bye. Love you. Bye. This podcast is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. about mcdonald's all day can't get it off my mind i can already taste it Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some mickey d's deal there's a deal for every moment at mcdonald's right now get two of your favorites for just 350 mix and match a classic mcchicken a hot and spicy mcchicken or a juicy mcdouble price and participation may vary cannot be combined with combo meal single item at regular price Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.